Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Character and Smallman podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's Character and Smallman. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. It's 7 o'clock, your time check. Brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler, Michelle Smallman, Randy Character. We do have Ask Uncle Randy coming up at 7.15, so send in your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780 or leave a mic drop with the Rhino Shield mic drop. You can do that with the free 101 ESPN app. Just download that. And, of course, you can follow us on Twitter at msmallman, and she's also on uh, the Instagram at that. I'm on Twitter also at Randy Carricker and RJ Carricker is my Instagram address. And Michelle at 701 is already wound up and furious. <laughs> I Well, I'm furious for a lot of different reasons, Randy. And it's hump day. It's hump yeah, day. Hump day. Good we, morning. <laughs> we should be in a good mood. <laughs> but we got the news yesterday about the Browns, Randy. They had five people test positive for COVID-19. They closed their practice facility. We yesterday, after our Dolphins were bounced from the playoffs, and we're going to get to that in a mm-hmm. second. There is a reason that both of us are fired up about that. <laughs> we decided that we needed to adopt a playoff team, and we thought, what team would be better for us than the Cleveland Browns? They're in their first playoff game since 2002. We know what it's like here in St. Louis to watch terrible football. We know what it's like to be a mid-market team that is desperate to win. We identify with the Browns on a lot of different levels. Plus, they're, they're a fun team. Why wouldn't we want to cheer mm-hmm. for them? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, as soon as we adopt this team, this news comes down. And now, Randy, we're being accused of being a jinx. Yeah, literally within minutes after we had adopted the bronze, <laughs> and we had Jake, Jake Trotter on from ESPN Cleveland, and he was telling us about how fired up the city was. And so we were kind of joining in saying, yeah, this is kind of like us. This is, you know, St. Louis is the same kind of town as yeah, Cleveland totally. is. And we we were a fa- we are kind of a factory of sadness from a football perspective, just like them. And then I get home, and my drive home is five minutes, and I click my phone, and I see all of this stuff, and then I get the text from you that maybe we're a curse when it couldn't be further from the truth. We aren't the curse. No, and we know about curses because there was a time where we thought our St. Louis Blues were cursed, and Randy we and I did them. We did some intensive research on curses and how to reverse curses, and we didn't even have to do any of the magic, the black magic that we found on the dark, dark, deep the corners dark web. of the web. Really dark web. The really dark web. There's some weird stuff out there about curses. Let me. I was concerned because I was looking this up on my work computer. That's how dark some of this curse if, stuff is. If out there. only that was the most disturbing thing on the web. Hey, and you know what? I'm actually not that concerned because the Riz show is down the hall. So, yeah, right, good point. <laughs> so I think we're safe from that perspective. But I really take umbrage, Randy, with us being called a jinx because we are the furthest thing from it. Oh, we help. We And you know what? Here's the thing. After we adopt the Dolphins, 
they win four out of five. And granted, they they lost by a small margin on Sunday to the Buffalo Bills, but they <laughs> should still <laughs> they should still be in the playoffs because here's the thing. People are talking about the integrity of the, and we know about the integrity of the NFL. There is none. We don't have a team, right? There is none. But if you're going to talk about the integrity of the league, the integrity of the league was impugned at the start of the noon game between Pittsburgh and Cleveland because if Pittsburgh plays their guys and they didn't play Ben Roethlisberger, they didn't play Cam Hayward, they didn't play TJ Watt, they didn't play Marquise Pouncey, they lost to Cleveland by two points. If they play those guys, they win, they beat Cleveland, and the Miami Dolphins are in the playoffs. So you talk about the integrity of the league, you talk about our integrity, they're they're almost purposefully trying to impugn the integrity of Carriker and Smallman, and we are going to stand for it. Yeah, this is just a massive conspiracy about the NFL as a whole. Against us. Against us personally, and I will not stand for it. You know, Brian Flores needs to go all Joe Judge on Pittsburgh mm-hmm. and say, Mike Tomlin, how could you look your guys in the face? How could you not put your starters out there on the field knowing that this is a game that other people care about? How can you go out there and say, I'm just going to rest my guys? What about the integrity of the game? You should be putting your starters out there and trying to win until that final whistle blows, Randy. Right. And I, I feel for Dolphins fans in Miami, uh, they haven't been fans as long as we have, and they don't have as much of an emotional investment as we have Correct. in the Dolphins. But still, I, I feel for them, and I think it's just horrible what the NFL has done. And then, lo and behold, Cleveland goes out and probably celebrates and winds up with a bunch of guys with uh, COVID-19. Terrible news. <laughs> Terrible news. Yeah. I st- Including I- coach Kevin Stefanski. Who, which is huge for them, obviously. We talked yesterday about how integral Kevin Stefanski is to their success, and most importantly, to Baker Mayfield's success, mm-hmm. and how they had been working in tandem all season, and he had really unlocked something in Baker Mayfield to where we have seen Baker be able to excel in the field and put the Browns in this position, and I know that the quarterback's coach is going to step in, and Baker obviously has familiarity with him, and maybe it'll be something where it just permeates through, and it's not that big of a deal because coach will have the game plan in place and they'll be able to execute it. I think that the game is probably already settled anyway. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> but it's just terrible news for Cleveland, for the Browns, and for their fans. They have waited a really, really long time for this. They went into work yesterday, Randy, on a Monday riding high. Hey, we're going to the playoffs. First time since 2002. <laughs> yeah, it's a pandemic and we don't get to celebrate it the way that we would want to, but we're still there. We're still going to get to watch them. And then they get this news that their head coach, oh, and a Pro Bowl guard, uh, mm-hmm. other members. The longest tenured player, Joel Batonio. Batonio, yep. yeah. They're, um, yeah, they just. They had five people test positive for COVID, and it's just terrible news for them. One of the interesting things about having an NFL team in your town is when you go to the facility, you see the cars in the parking lot. And beyond the fact that they had a bunch of people with the Browns test positive for COVID-19, yesterday, left tackle Jedrick Willis Jr. and wide receiver Rashad Higgins were cited for drag racing with said fast cars in Cleveland. (laughs) What else are you going to do in Cleveland, though, right? (laughs) I'm kidding. Do it in the summer. Do it. Do it during the off season. It's probably it was probably snowing. Probably. And I wonder where they were drag racing. I hope it was on uh, an empty street somewhere. But that just kinds 
kind of adds a little salt into the wound already. Of course. It's just another thing to add to the list of yeah. things that are going wrong for the Cleveland Browns. And it's happening in Ohio. Ohio State apparently has a position group that has tested positive or at least has some concerns. And the college football playoff has reserved Hard Rock Stadium for the 18th. They may have to delay this game, which is scheduled for Monday night, to January 18th. I loved Bill Hancock's statement on this. He's the executive director of the College Football Playoff Committee. And he said, I can tell you there are no changes. The game is scheduled for January 11th as planned, and we look forward to it. Doesn't it sound like your parent just telling you basically, yeah. don't even try it. We're not moving it. Right. That's Eli Drinkwitz, right? When we had him on right at the beginning of the season. Hey, we're playing September 26th. That's all there is to it. That's what's ha- That's all I've heard, yeah. and that's what's, what's <laughs> happening. He's probably thinking, we went through so much this season to get it done on this day. All of the logistics that are in place for this from a TV stand point from an advertising standpoint we are going to play this game <laughs> come hell or high water this is going to happen i personally would like for them to to move the game because i want to see the best possible product out too. there on the field and i would hope that they do too but unfortunately randy sports is a business and there's a lot of other factors that go into this last night alabama and they'll play ohio state for that championship saw wide receiver Devonte smith win the heisman trophy the He finished in first place with 1,856 points. Trevor Lawrence finished second. Mac Jones third and Kyle Trask fourth. I actually had him reverse. I I voted for Kyle Trask one, Mac Jones two, Trevor Lawrence three. And if I would have had a fourth place vote, it would have gone to Devontae Smith, who I don't first of all, great player. And you can make a strong argument that he was the best player in college football this year. I think that Jalen Waddle was a better player than he was, and Nick Saban thought that too at the beginning of the season until Waddle got hurt. I voted for Kyle Trask just because his quarterback numbers were so far above every other quarterback's. And while Mac Jones and Trevor Lawrence did put up decent numbers, they weren't playing with a bad defense. And the Florida defense was about 45th in points allowed. And both Clemson and Alabama were in the top 10. So Kyle Trask had more pressure to put more points on the board and then did it. He had a a great year. Mac Jones, obviously fabulous and turned himself from, who's this Mac Jones guy after Tua got hurt into a Heisman Trophy finalist. And Trevor Lawrence, I I think he got second more, more Michelle because his numbers weren't great, but it was kind of a lifetime achievement award. It was a, hey, shouldn't Trevor Lawrence win this thing? Yeah, right. One of those. <laughs> and Peyton Manning ran into the same thing. Peyton Manning never won the Heisman either. And it was the same thing. He finished second and it was, he didn't have, he came back for his senior year and didn't have a great senior year. But I think that he'll, he's probably pretty happy with the way things went. Oh, I'm sure. But I'm, it's probably also something that he still thinks about from time to yeah, time. I, oh, I should have won the Heisman. Yeah, that's what the right. great ones do is they always use things like that as fuel for the yeah. fire. A couple of other wide receiver notes. Mizzou gets Ohio State transfer Mookie Cooper. He played at Trinity and then transferred to Pattonville but didn't play his senior year. He was the number two rated player in Missouri when he came out last year. Didn't play a snap for Ohio State. He was ranked the number 93 prospect in the recruiting class of 2020. And now Mookie Cooper is going to transfer to Mizzou and probably will be able to play next season. Great news for Mizzou. Eli Drinkwitz gets uh, a great player to add to his roster. And I love that this is a guy in Missouri who wants to come play for Mm -hmm. Eli Drinkwitz and the Tigers. I'll be interested to see if anybody from Illinois, because Trinity had a lot of players that went from 
their school, obviously, over to Illinois. I wonder if any of those kids will want to make the move over to Mizzou either, because it's as well, because obviously it's a fun place to play. Drinkwitz is fun. And when there, there's two things that cause players to want to leave a school. Number one is when the coach leaves because they go there for the coach. They aren't going there for the academics. And Wait, number, they're not, Randy? No. I thought they were student athletes. No, they're athletes that <laughs> maybe sometimes are students. <laughs> and then in addition to the coach leaving, there's playing time. And that was the issue with Mookie Cooper. I'm sure he didn't play a snap and looks at all this talent in the wide receiver room at Ohio State. And man, Missouri didn't have anybody over 500 yards last season. Yeah, opportunity knocks. Yeah. So I, I would think that with the playing time for a guy like Mookie Cooper, maybe some of the other four wide receivers, now three that are playing for Ohio State that are from St. Louis and aren't getting much playing time. And with the fact that Lovey Smith is gone at Illinois, I wonder if there will be some St. Louis area kids that might show an interest in coming over to Mizzou. Perhaps. I mean, you're you're looking at Mizzou right now. Not only are they in the SEC, but they got things rolling in a good position. They're in a good position after their head coach has been there for a year Mm -hmm. during a pandemic. I would be looking at them too saying, hey, things are pretty exciting over there. Now listen, I would not defect from Illinois. No. I I would want to stay at Illinois and see uh, what happens there, but that's just because I'm a homer, Randy. But Mizzou does have things looking in a pretty good position. And Brett Bielma did interview Mizzou's defensive coordinator, Ryan Walters, for his defensive coordinator job. So we'll keep an eye on that. And Good luck to our friend, Tori Holt. Again, a finalist for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. There is a large group of players. Probably going to be tough for Tori, but it'd be fun. It, it would make last year a little bit more worthwhile if Tori and Isaac got to go in on the same year. Wouldn't that be so special to have them get yeah. inducted together? Yeah. And Tori is so deserving of the Hall of Fame. He is. Uh, he, uh, I, I will continue to say this, and this is really the only stat I need. In a decade in which Randy Moss and Terrell Owens and Marvin Harrison were all in their prime, Torrey Holt was the guy who led the NFL in catches and receiving yards from 2000 through 2009. So if he's the best of that group and they're all in the Hall of Fame, then he should be in the Hall of Fame too. You should just make the the speech, Randy. Pitch him. I I, I would like to do that. And uh, welcome to the Honda division. I'm pumped to be in the Honda division. The NHL sold naming rights for their divisions. The West is the Honda division. The East is the Mass Mutual. The Central is the Discover. And the North is the Scotiabank North division. Of course, that's in Canada. So there you go. Aren't you kind of surprised that that hasn't been done prior to this? Very surprised. And I'll be very surprised if the NHL goes back. Yeah. It seems like an easy thing for them to sell and to monetize. But if they go back to normal divisions next year, which I assume they will, would you rather be in the Honda division or the Discover division? I'm, I'm a Honda guy. I'd rather be in the Honda division. So what, what about you? I do have a Discover card, too. Do you? Yeah. Oh, so this is... So you're brand loyal either way. Totally. Uh, To the (laughs) NHL, I only rent Enterprise cars. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Um, I don't even know if I can use Scotiabank. Or Mass Mutual for that. (laughs) I don't know. Uh, I would prefer to be in the Discover Central division. Well, but what name would you rather have, though? Yeah, that one, Discover. Okay. Nothing wrong with that. I'm, I'm okay. Yeah, we're I, don't, I don't really have a pre- like a strong preference either, either way, yeah. but Discover Central Division kind of rolls up the tongue. But the thing is, people are so fun with our Honda Division. And uh, let me get to this on Twitter because people uh, have entertained me. And uh, this is from, uh, hold on, let me scroll down, scroll down, scroll down. Oh, here we go. This is from uh, Dustin. 
as a prelude, I once owned a Honda Prelude, to the Odyssey that we will embark on together this season, may we all act accordingly <laughs> and honor our civic duty in cheering on O'Reilly as he pilots our team to victory. Well done. <laughs> well done. <laughs> Thank you, Dustin. Appreciate it on the Twitter machine. Coming up, you can use the Twitter machine if you'd like to get in touch with us. If you have a question for Uncle Randy, it's coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Appreciate your questions for Ask Uncle Randy here on 101 ESPN. And you can send us a text, 65780. You can mic drop us with the 101 ESPN app. You can even send a Twitter question, if you'd like, to Michelle at M. Smallman or me at Randy Carricker. And here we go. Michelle, what do you got? All right, Randy. This one from the 636. Dear Uncle Randy, if a loved one cooks a meal for you and it's just the worst thing you've ever eaten, do you need to finish your entire plate? Or do you make excuse as to why you just aren't hungry? Air quotes. Also, do you lie and tell them it was really delicious or do you give the cold, hard truth? Okay, here's the thing. Because I've been here and if the uh, if the loved one, if you have an extended relationship, it will be a topic of humor down the road. But what you do is you say, because you want to be nice, you say, yeah, this is good. I'm just not very hungry. So you, you had that call right. But then the loved one is going to say, no, it's really not that good, is it? You say, no, it's not. And you're going to laugh about it and have something else. But down the road, that will be... Uh, fish casserole, something that you remember for the rest of your life. Fish casserole? Yeah, some sort of a, a when we were really young, Joe made a fish, fish casserole, <laughs> but it didn't turn out great. But we still remember it. But Uncle Randy, what if the significant other does not take the bait and say it's not really that good, is it? What if they then are beaming with pride and say, I'm going to start cooking for you every night? You hope that they get better and better. But you just have to sneak out and get something else that night. If, if if you had dinner, and by the way, it is different if you are married or engaged, boyfriend, girlfriend. Because I do think that if somebody thinks they're a good cook and they aren't, I think you've got a real problem on your hands there. But you don't want to make somebody feel bad about their cooking. That That's the bottom line. So what you do is you say, I'm not very hungry. And everybody knows when they they make something bad. I know when I make something bad. Nobody's that dumb, so don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, maybe just keep a stash of granola bars hidden in the bathroom. Yeah. You know, like tuck them in the back. Just and put them in a pantry or something. Because well, I imagine, though, if that your significant other sees you eating the granola bars out of the pantry, yeah. at least you can go to the bathroom. Hey, I have to wash uh-huh. my hands in a right. pandemic. Eat the Cliff Bar. Yeah, and you aren't going to get that hungry that quick. And hopefully there's something else other than the casserole. Hopefully you can just chow down on green beans, something like that. <laughs> Maybe you'll lose a lot of weight. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Let's look at the positives here. It, it's just one thing. Nobody can be a consistently bad preparer of food, I don't think. All you have to be able to do is follow instructions. It's not that hard. It's not that difficult. And maybe then if your significant other who's a terrible cook takes an interest in it, you can get them cooking lessons or classes or you could do something to help further their education. Or cook with them. There there you go. Yeah, work together. 
And then if it's bad, you only have yourself to blame. That's exactly right. Okay. Randy, this is from the 636. Dear Uncle Randy, I have an employee who, after using the Keurig, does not dispose of his K-cup, nor does he refill the reservoir. Should I come hard? Excuse me. Should I come down hard on him? His fate hangs in your balance. Yes. Come down hard. That is inexcusable. There's no excuse at a place of work or at home to not clean up after yourself. That is just not cool. And so, yeah, you come down hard on that person. And I don't know if you go so far as to fire them, but you send out a strongly worded email and stop by the cubicle or the office and say, hey, I know it's you that's leaving the the Keurig cup in the machine. Come on, everybody else uses that machine too. Use some manners. Who taught you how to be this way? Use some, <laughs> use some manners and throw stuff away and clean up after you're done. I can just imagine you saying that to someone in the break room and how alarmed they would be if you said to them, do you not have any manners? But you know my thoughts on this. If you are the mm-hmm. finisher, you are the replenisher. There is no gray area here. No question about it. And there are people that are, are around that are nice enough to clean up, but they shouldn't have to. And as the big boss, you protect those people. And especially now with COVID-19, there is absolutely no excuse to leave somebody else vulnerable because maybe you were around somebody and maybe you aren't showing any symptoms. And if you are a spreader, that's a really bad thing. There are, There is never a good reason in a work environment to leave your work cafeteria or kitchen area dirty, to leave a mess for somebody else to clean up. Inexcusable. Yeah, this isn't your dorm room. It's a shared no. workspace. Yeah. We get mad at home when Patrick does that. So I, th- I think he's kind of learned his lesson now. But we we, uh, we do hot chocolate in the curing. So if, if there's, and I don't drink coffee, so if, if there's a filter in there, one of the cups, I get pissed. Because <laughs> then you get coffee hot chocolate. Yeah, that's bad. Well, you have to take it, you just have to take it out because for the water to flow, mm-hmm. you have to lift the, the top up. But I don't want to take it out. That's, that's theirs. Right. Right. Water flow. Very crucial. All right. This one from the 636. Dear Uncle Randy, my wife is from Kansas City and she is a diehard Chiefs fan. I don't root for or against them, but she cannot accept that. How do I convince her that I'm not a traitor and and I'm just a guy who doesn't care for Kansas City? Okay. First of all, if you don't care for the Chiefs, that's cool. You, everybody is allowed a benign indifference. You can't just say, okay, yeah, I'm emotionally attached to this team and point out to her as a St. Louis guy, look, the NFL did this to me. The NFL didn't want me, so I'm not going to want the NFL. I appreciate the fact that you're invested and I love it and I'll sit around and watch games with you, but I can't get emotionally invested in a league that doesn't want anything to do with me. I would just plop down my birth certificate and say, where does this, where does it say I was born? I am, yeah. it is not mandatory that I cheer for the Kansas City Chiefs if I was not, from, if I am not from there. No. You need to accept this. Right. And it doesn't matter what sport. For example, does she want you to be a Royals fan? Now you're here in St. Louis. You're probably a Cardinal fan. Just because she's from Kansas City doesn't mean you should invest in the Kansas City teams. It'd be nice of you. And it'd be cool if you had that in common. But I would just say, look, I I can't, I appreciate it. I love the fact that you are into it as much as you are. I can't get into it that much. I, 
whatever it is, when you're married to somebody, if they're totally invested in something and you can't be invested in it, tell them, say, no, I'm not as into that. I'm not as into uh, the Real Housewives of Orange County. So I'm going to go down and watch a blues game. You aren't coming down to watch a blues game with me. So you just watch your Orange County Housewives and I'll watch the blues. We have a great submission from the 618, Randy, who suggests that our listener just yell caca to her. Oh, to that's a wife. nice play. Caca! I am not a Chiefs fan. I am a Battlehawks fan. Yeah, and we're back, baby, in 2022. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. Uh, Randy, we have a submission for Ask Uncle Randy on the mic drop feature. Uncle Randy, can you help me solve this one? I left this current job that I'm at two years ago to pursue coaching kids. That ended up not going the way I thought, so I ended up back here at my job where I'm at now. I still want to coach, and I'm on my way to starting my own coaching company. How do I quit again and not burn this bridge? It's a very good question, and I think what you have to do in explaining it to your bosses is say, I hate to do this because I know that you guys brought me back, but I have to follow my dream. And my dream is to coach. That's why I left before and I just can't give it up. I can't get it out of my blood. And we as coaches, it's in our blood. So I really apologize, but I'm a coach and I have to go back to doing that. Just do it that way. You're not burning any bridges. I don't think anybody should ever begrudge somebody else for following their dreams. Absolutely not. So that's what I I would. That's the way I would couch it. Is uh, I'm not doing this to you. I'm doing this for me. I have to do this for me. Great advice. I also think if you're quitting the job twice, it's unlikely you're going to get hired there a third time if need be. So why are you concerned about burning the bridge? You're probably burning a bridge, but maybe sometime down the road you'd want a good recommendation from them. And you you don't want to give up friendships. Although usually when you leave a job, you don't stick around with those people anyway, right? Right. But uh, that's what I would say. I don't think there's any problem with that. Thanks, Michelle. You got it, Randy. And thanks for getting involved with Ask Uncle Randy. Coming up, we're going to talk to Mike Farron of MLB Network Radio. Talk some ball with the Cardinals not doing anything. Next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker on 101 ESPN. And as we depart when our show ends at 10 o'clock Central Time, Every single day, I tune in to MLB Network Radio on Sirius XM, and I tune in to the very well-informed Mike Farron as he does his Power Alley show. And Mike joins us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN. Mike, thanks for taking some time with us this morning. How are you doing? I'm good. I am flattered that you said that, but I, I fake it until I make it. So. <laughs> Well, Mike, here in St. Louis, you know we are a baseball crazy town, and we haven't been yep. adapting well to this slow off season. Do you th- <laughs> we want some news. Do you think that any teams are going to have some movement soon? Do you think any team might go for it the way that we saw the Padres do? Well, I think that's a good question. I mean, I think there are a couple of teams that are probably lined up well to be able to take advantage of the top end of the free agent market. I think the Mets and the Blue Jays uh, certainly – fit that mold. I would keep an eye on San Francisco um, just because they'll be opportunistic. Um, They're going to have a lot of money coming off the books after this year. And while they may wait for the giant shortstop free agent class for next year to really spend, um, they could certainly augment a roster that's getting better in an organization that's improving um, daily. So 
Yeah, I think that's where the top end or the potential go for it is. It was nice that we saw a couple moves yesterday. You know, we saw Robbie Grossman signed with Detroit. I think it's the first time in nearly five years that the Tigers have signed a multi-year free agent deal with somebody. Blake Trinan goes back to the Dodgers. So I think it's going to come out in dribs and drabs because there are a number of teams that still don't really have a set budget on the year because they don't know if and when fans are going to be allowed in the stands and whether or not you know, the owners are going to try and push back the start of the season and you know whether how much the players are going to fight that or what the health and safety protocols are. We have a lot of unanswered questions for uh, pitchers and catchers supposedly reporting in six weeks. And Mike, obviously one of those teams that doesn't know what their budget will be is the Cardinals. Uh, and we're sitting here saying, okay, they're sitting in place, but we're watching what the Cubs are doing and watching what the Reds are doing and what the Pirates are. And I, I don't know what the, the Brewers are, but it seems like the Cardinals just sitting in place. And that's obviously pending what happens with Molina and Wainwright, but sitting in place might be the best. Well, aside from not getting better, it might make them a, a division favorite. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty tight. I mean, I think if you look at that, you know, just some simple war projections from Steamer, um, you know, the the Cardinals, Brewers, and Cubs are are bunched pretty tightly, and the Reds aren't all that far behind them. So, you know, certainly within kind of margins for error. So I I don't know that necessarily sitting tight is the right thing. I mean, that seems to be a very winnable division if you can be able to invest some into your payroll. It just doesn't seem like anybody has enough certainty uh, as of what their revenues are going to be for 2021 to be willing to invest this year. And really, you know, I I think one of the things that's a little bit surprising in this is that we haven't seen teams try to backload deals a little bit. You know, we, we, knock on wood, should be closer to normal in 2022, even with the CBA, um, you know, negotiation looming at the end of the year. But like you would think that some teams would be willing to backload contracts a little bit, but it, we just haven't gotten to that point yet. And I think it's, you know, I, I think the Cardinals could be, you know, if they were able to find the powder to be able to that they've kept dry to be able to to get out there, they certainly have players on the market either via trade or via free agency that could make them the prohibitive favorites in the division. Mike Farron of MLB Network Radio with us on 101 ESPN. And Mike, as you survey the landscape of all 30 teams, what do you think happens with Yachty? Um, I think in the end he goes back to the Cardinals. I, I just don't, I don't, I think when push comes to shove, it's a little bit similar to the Paul Konerko situation with the White Sox, what, almost 10 years ago now, where he was really close, a couple of different times he was close. 2006, 2011, I think he was close to signing deals somewhere else, and Jerry Reinsdorf stepped in and you know paid Konerko what he wanted to be able to stay. And I think in the end, that's what's going to happen with Yachty and 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 Wainwright. I mean, I just can't see them moving on. If they do, I think beyond just the the loss of you know in, in Molina, a certain Hall of Famer, um, and still a you know. A, great defender and a great, you know, we have a tough time quantifying some of his value just because of so many of the intangibles are important with him. You know, I, I think it's a huge loss for the Cardinals, and I don't know how they necessarily go out and replace that, and it would be a rare, huge, bad PR hit for the Cardinals with their fan base, too. So I, I just don't, I don't see a market in the end where Molina and Wainwright end up leaving. I mean, I could be wrong in this. Maybe somebody comes in and blows Yachty away with a contract, but that's not the way the, the market has moved. 
Theo, here in St. Louis, we always keep one eye trained to the north side to see what's happening with the Chicago mm-hmm. Cubs. And we know that they are going to be a completely new team. Theo is gone. They moved you, Darvish. But do you think they're going to continue this sell-off? Uh, just a little bit. I mean, I think, you know, they, they'd love to move a little bit more salary if they could. Um, and I think that some of it would be a reallocation of resources onto the major league roster. You know, they're still going to be a decent team. I mean, I think Bryant's a good candidate to bounce back, and I don't, I don't at this point anticipate him getting traded. Um, Baez should bounce back. You know, Rizzo's still pretty good. Um, Contreras is probably the most likely to be dealt, and I could see them trying to add another starting pitcher in a potential deal um, that's a little bit inexpensive to try and and you know bolster that staff and and or you know pick up guys on minor league deals or something like that that end up working out okay for them. They've done a nice job in piecing together their bullpen over the last couple of years. So I still think they're going to be a competitive team. I don't think that there's going to be like this major teardown. And I think Jed Hoyer even said that where this isn't 2011, 2012. They're in a tough situation that they've put themselves in because they, they not only are largely dependent on the revenues from the ballpark, but they've invested so heavily in building up the area around the park and they started a new television network and literally what ended up being the worst possible time to do it, that they're kind of behind the eight ball there. So I understand a little bit of where they're coming from. Even if, if you can, you know, kind of look askance at some of the claims of losses from ownership across the league, I certainly think their situation is a little bit worse than some others uh, are, but you know, I still think they're going to be a largely competitive team. I just don't think that they're going to end up being, the favorite in the National League Central. Mike, one more thing from me, and this is in regards to the West. With everything the Padres have done over the last couple of years, how close are they to the Dodgers right now? Well, I think from a talent standpoint, they're pretty close. I think from a depth standpoint, I don't think anybody is where the Dodgers are. And I think as excited as we are about the way the West looks with those two teams competing, I mean, listen, as a Diamondbacks broadcaster, I shouldn't say that I'm all that thrilled about the Dodgers being that far ahead of everybody else. I do think the Dodgers have largely had a quiet winter. Now, re-signing Trinan, trading for Corey Knable, those are significant moves to help bolster their bullpen. They still haven't addressed third base. They're going to do that, and they're going to do it in an impactful fashion, whether it's bringing back Justin Turner or signing DJ LeMahieu, making a trade for AU Henigo Suarez. Whatever it is, they're going to end up ending up with some impact still in their lineup. And I think that's the thing that, you know, we're, we're excited now on January 4th that it looks like it's going to be a race. I think when all is said and done, there's still going to be a gap between the Dodgers and the Padres. And I think the Dodgers are better positioned to deal with the risk that come associated with pitching than San Diego is. Well, San Diego has some very good young pitching in um, Mackenzie Gore and Adrian Morahone, especially. They're not necessarily quite as deep, and they have a number of guys that are higher risk because they've had injury histories in the past. So, yeah, I think it's closer than it has been on paper to the Dodgers for any team really in this last six or seven years. But I'm not convinced in the end that the Padres are going to be neck and neck with the Dodgers when we get to the final projections ahead of the season. Looking forward to We're looking forward to getting back to games, Mike. So hopefully we'll start spring training on Valentine's Day and we'll be able to have a normal schedule here. Yeah, knock on wood. I mean, there's still a lot of uncertainty with all of this, so the 
quicker we can get vaccines in people's arms, the better it's going to be for everybody. No doubt about it. Hey, love listening to you. Thanks so much for taking some time. Hopefully we can do this again. My pleasure. Take care. Take care, Mike. Mike Farron, MLB Network Radio. You can hear him with Jim Duquette on Power Alley every day on MLB Network Radio. And, of course, as he mentioned, he does pre- and post-game for the Arizona Diamondbacks as well and knows Paul Goldschmidt very well. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780. We have Take It or Leave It coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Time for Take It or Leave It. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780 for Michelle Smallman and Randy Carricker. Michelle, this yesterday on Twitter from Kristen Sabin Citas, the daughter of one Nick Sabin, she tweeted, if you're not confident, then say it. I call BS on the Ohio State COVID cases. They're just worried about their quarterback and want him to have more time to heal. If he's hurt, put in your backup. You didn't see us postpone the rest of the season to wait for Waddle. Bye. Take it or leave it. <laughs> Kristen Saban, Nick Saban's daughter, has a good conspiracy theory going there. I just, I can't get over the way you said bye. <laughs> well, at, in all caps. I at to. the end. Yes, you know, I love a good conspiracy theory. And yes, that hit that Justin Fields sustained was very tough. It looked like a car crash in real time. It was awful. Um, if I was Ohio State, I too would want him to have more time to recover. However, we are in a pandemic and we know the way that COVID is spreading amongst teams. Um, and even though Ohio State, even though I wouldn't put it past a team, I'm not even going to say Ohio state specifically to try to figure out a way to get their star player more time to heal rams (laughs) there you go i don't think that that is the case here and and take it or leave it she got a stern phone call from her dad after hitting send on that tweet yeah i'll take that quickly deleted by the way i guess dad might follow her even though he says he doesn't do social media i'm sure he's got a guy that follows her i would think so yeah probably got a strongly worded phone call from dad that's right um, Randy, Joe Pompliano, he is a bin- business and money reporter in the world of sports, had an interesting tweet that he pushed out yesterday. He said, to offset financial losses due to the COVID-19 pandemic, the NBA is considering adding two expan- expansion franchises. And then he says, what cities should they pick? Take it or leave it. The only answer to this question is Seattle and St. Louis. I'll take that. Absolutely. Absolutely. The two biggest TV markets that don't have NBA franchises. You are a league that's built now on television revenue and television ratings. Absolutely. No question about it. Those are the two that you go to. And I can imagine Bradley Beal and Jason Tatum are going to certainly ride for St. Louis. Mm -hmm. And we know that the way that St. Louis shows up for their pro sports franchises. We saw it on display with the Battlehawks recently. A homegrown NBA team. If we could pack the dome for the Battlehawks when people weren't even sure if the XFL was going to exist in a few years, imagine what we could do for an NBA team. Do you like the name St. Louis Rhythm? I don't love it. I'm not going to lie. I don't love it. I know the rhythm and the blues. Yeah. I just don't love it. I don't love it. I don't love it either. I just, I think I like the idea of rhythm and blues too. That's what I like. But there could be a better name. Somebody can come up with a better name for me. NBA has a lot of names that don't end with S. I just imagine that if it was the rhythm, that it would have kind of a a 90s style jersey, maybe mm-hmm. some purple in there, that it would be a little cheesy for me. Oh, and it'd have, have that, it'd look like the the one, the blues jersey with the trumpet that they didn't use. <laughs> yes, yes, correct. But 
I, if they did play in the same building, it would be cool to say this is the home of the Rhythm and Blues. Yeah, it would be pretty cool. Uh, 65780 if you've got a good name for an NBA team in St. Louis. Tanner, what do you got for us? From the 618, take it or leave it, Devontae Smith will be the third pick in the draft behind Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence. I'm going to leave that. I'm going to say that the Jets take Devontae Smith. Really? And not Justin Fields? Yeah. Even though we had their GM come out yesterday and be non-committal towards Sam Darnold's future? Yeah, but what's the best way to make Sam Darnold better? Get him protection and receivers. But maybe they're not committed to having him there. Then that would be foolish. Uh, if I were them, I would try to get people around to Darnold. Because you're just doing more of the same. And maybe, or maybe not, Fields winds up being great. But you've got a guy that you took with the third pick in the draft who has the physical toolbox to do what you need to do. He's just been horribly coached and had a horrible surrounding cast. Well, I'm going to take that take it or leave it because I can't wait to see him on our Miami Dolphins. That'd be fun. Devontae Smith, Tua to Devontae, I'm in. If if we get Jamar Chase or if we get Waddle, I, I can live with those guys too. From the 573, take it or leave it with Mac Jones having two degrees and a 4.0 GPA. He'll be the quarterback Bill Belichick targets in the 2021 draft. Yeah, I'll take that. I could see it. Yep. Saban guy. That makes all the sense in the world. Cerebral. Yeah. He, he sure is. <laughs> oh, and he's a guy, too, that went to Alabama having to sit. He bet on himself. That just has New yeah. England written all over it, doesn't it? It sure does. By the way, uh, I can't believe we didn't think of this, but multiple texts uh, bring back the spirits of St. Louis. Oh, duh. That's the yeah. obvious answer. Yeah. With maybe the best logo in basketball history. Absolutely. And it has history tied to it. Yeah. Let's bring Bob Costas back to call the yep. games. Um, Silver and orange. The colors are great. Colors are great. I already have a lot of orange in my closet, so personally it works. And um, I would like to see someone on the team also wear a floor-length fur coat. Oh, Faux fur, obviously. Great. But like Marvin, Marvin Barnes, it would be so fun. With his basketball gear on underneath. Yes. Just, just getting off of a charter. And game time is on time. That's right. That'd be awesome. <laughs> From the 618, take it or leave it. If Nashville gets an expansion baseball team, it will pull away from the Cardinals fan base because of fans down south that support the Cardinals. I'm going to leave that. I'm going to take it. Are you? Yeah, I think that would chip into Cardinal Nation. I have to believe there's a lot of people that come up here from Tennessee. Sure. Like if the Paducah, Kentucky crowd, what are they going to do? Go to a Cardinal game or a Nashville game? They might go to a national game, but if those people have already grown up their entire lives being car- maybe in 20 years, it will chip away at mm-hmm. the Cardinal fan base. But if you're a Cardinal fan, you are a diehard Cardinal fan. There's not ma- many fringe Cardinal fans. I'm just a casual Cardinal fan. Mm-hmm. If you love the St. Louis Cardinals, you're typically all in. And I can't imagine just because there's an expansion franchise in Nashville that you're going to throw away your loyalty and your fandom to the Cardinals. Unless the Cardinals are losing and they're winning. I don't know. I think Cardinal Nation could go away in a hurry with losing. Really? I don't know. I think they're pretty loyal. People didn't show up in the 70s and early 80s, though. Even when when Willie came up in 82 and they had had the best record, and granted, it was a strike year in 81, but they had the best record in the division in 81. Willie's first game, mid-May of 82, they had like 14,000 people in the stands. Hmm. So even, heck, until that, that late in that 82 season, 
they were drawn in the 20s and stuff. They Opening day, they had crowds in the 20s for opening day in St. Louis. And that was a result of not winning in the 70s. But I think even though the Cardinals haven't won a World Series since 2011, that they've been in the postseason enough and the, the residue of winning, even though the fan base is getting restless, mm-hmm. the residue of winning is still there. It they, is. they still have right. a chance to win the division, too. I just right. I think that as long as they're still competitive in some way, shape, or form, they're not tanking, they're not the worst team, that I can't imagine swaths of Cardinals fans abandoning ship to jump on no. and cheer for a no. team in Nashville. It's, it's something that gets chipped away at. It's not something that happens overnight. But the Cardinals do need to add some excitement because that's one of the things about the 80s. They either brought up a rookie or got somebody every year. And then in the 2000s, it, pretty much every year, they went out and got somebody to get people excited. They did get Goldschmidt a couple of years ago, but other than that, and we hope that Dylan Carlson turns out being great, but from a position player standpoint, they really, it's not something that they are attentive to every year. And I will say this, if you've been to a game in Nashville, a Preds game, you know that Nashville knows how to party. They will find a really fun way to incorporate the, the game elements. Mm-hmm. I imagine that going to a baseball game in Nashville would be a fun time. I would think so. And yeah, if, if Cardinal games aren't that exciting, you're not getting the entertainment value. All of a sudden you're going down to Nashville. They've got bands playing. You're, you're going on Broadway, having an adult beverage or three. I don't know. It could be a good time. Take it or leave it. A pitcher that gives up a home run. In Nashville, an opposing pitcher uh, gets yelled, you suck at. Oh, definitely yeah. take it, even though it would annoy Some chant. me. Yeah. That's so, I, st- I hate that they do that. It's so annoying. And my response to them when I'm at a game in Nashville, I say, well, he did give up a goal to a predator, so he must. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> From the 314, take it or leave it. USA's win over Canada in the World Juniors last night is the second biggest upset in USA hockey history, just behind the miracle on ice. I'm going to leave that. I think we've, the USA has won like a half dozen of those junior championships now. That's becoming a pretty, pretty regular occurrence. So I'm going to leave that. And it would be hard for me, even though the Miracle on Ice would still be on top, to put anything really within the same breath as what that moment meant from, an, up, from an upset standpoint. In, in any sport, in It's like number one year. through five. Right, yeah, <laughs> you know? it, it, it's still unbelievable. And that's the kind of thing when the nation, we were a nation not as this divided in 1980, but we were down and we were feeling bad about ourselves and our country. And that group of players as one team singularly lifted the spirits of the country. It was unbelievable how the country got behind them and unified behind that group of teenagers. It was fantastic. From the three or six three six, take it or leave it. Jordan Cairo doesn't fit Bruby style and won't be a blue long term. I'm going to leave that. I think he. I, I think that he'll be skilled enough and provide enough effort defensively that he will. I think he's different than Fabry, and they were both not huge guys. But I, I don't think the consistent effort from Fabry was there. And I believe the consistent effort from Kairou will be. He's a pretty busy guy. And I look forward to him getting that opportunity to showcase that. And he needed a new number. 33 is not a great number for a goal scorer. 25 is a much better number for a goal scorer. So I think that was a a good move on his part. Thank you, Tanner. Thank you. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 657804-TOLI. Next up, what is the biggest Blues weakness heading into this season? We'll talk about our concerns next 
on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. It's 8.04, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. The Blues will have a couple of practices, a couple of skates today, before their first scrimmage tonight. And scrimmages are going to act, Michelle, as the Blues preseason game. So this is actually pretty important, what they're going to be doing tonight. Absolutely. They only have a finite amount of time to get ready for the season, Randy. So we're going to get to see them in action. And we know that they're going to be going out there and starting with a certain level of intensity because they learned from the bubble that they need to go out there, even in the these 10 days heading into the season and bring it only 10 days of training camp what does the head coach Craig Berube hope to get out of it yeah I think the most important thing and I harped on it the first two days is just our identity as a hockey team what is it um, I think everybody understands you know what our identity is and uh, so we want to work on that that we want to get that down we want to be good at that again uh, that's what made us a good team before um, so we really want to focus on in, cam- in camp that. Um, again, there's a lot of stuff to work on, probably too much in a short period of time. So I don't want to be, you know, touching every little thing and just be good at something. I want to be great at what we're good at, like we're supposed to be great at. So our identity is the most important thing. Michelle, I've always found the very best coaches in sports, regardless of what their team does the year before. When they come back to training camp the next year, they go to ground zero and start teaching what the basics are for their team, what the identity of their team is. So even though in many places, Blues players know what the identity of their team is, when you bring in a Tory Krug, when you bring in a Justin Falk, when you bring in a Mike Hoffman, when you bring in relatively new players, and Falk wasn't here for all of training camp last year, mm-hmm. you want to start from ground zero and start building the, what he's talking about, build that identity for what the Blues are. So uh, I'm happy to hear that he's going back to that so that every player can be on board with what they are. Yes, and I agree with him. That was my number one concern with this team heading into the season. We know that they have a lot of great pieces and interesting pieces that on paper look good and that could contribute to them being another Stanley Cup contender. But you're missing a lot of veteran guys. You lost your captain and Alex Petrangelo. Jay Bolmeister's not there. Alexander Steen. You have Vladimir Tarasenko who is going to be missing for a while. That's a lot of veteran guys and um, a lot of voices that you were used to leading the way that aren't going to be there. And so even though you do have the talent there, it takes a while for a team like this to get used to new players, to get into a rhythm, to find that identity. And so that's what I think their goal is going to be in these next 10 days. And I think even early in the season, we're going to see them finding their rhythm. Tyler Bozak was here for the Stanley Cup. He knows what the identity of this team is, but he also understands that there are going to be some guys missing that really were drivers of that culture. People like Alexander Steen and uh, Petrangelo and Jay Bomeister. Obviously, you miss, you know, the guys that left. Uh, you always miss your, your teammates and, you know, what they brought and, you know, the, just the, the friendships you had. But um, you know, we have a ton of great leaders in the room. Um, obviously, O'Reilly's going to do a heck of a job. Uh, you know, he's perfect for captain and... Um, and we got a lot of older guys, guys that have been around a long time that can, you know, help out. And, you know, everybody's got to lead in their own way. So, um, you know, we're going to try and keep the culture, you know, the same way it's been. And, you know, um, keep playing for that logo on the front and trying to make everyone proud. And I know, Michelle, this sounds trite, 
But for people that have watched hockey for a long time, I think it's different. I think leadership in hockey is different than any other sport because you truly do need a full 60 minutes of effort. And for whatever reason in hockey, players have a greater ability to hold other players accountable than any other sport that I've seen, whether it's football or basketball or uh, baseball. That leadership group, maybe it's because they do actually have the letters and they have the C. Or if you have a leadership role, the players that understand, look, we got to go out and we got to play a full 60 minutes because if we only play 50, there's a great chance of us losing. I think those are the sorts of voices that you need listened to. And if that's the theme that's coming out of that voice, who better than Ryan O'Reilly to be the the person to deliver that message? Because he doesn't just talk the talk, he walks the walk. But I think you're right. In a lot of other sports, in football, it's just determined that the quarterback is the captain. Whether he's the best leader on the field or not, he's the quarterback, so he's going to be the captain. And I think with this Blues team, whether it's Alex Petrangelo or David Backus prior to him, and now Ryan O'Reilly, guys lead in different ways. But these were guys that were always leaders prior to them getting mm-hmm. that designation. I remember when Alex, uh, when Petro was the captain, there was a lot of talk prior to them win- winning the Stanley Cup about the way he led, the type of leader he was. He's not a very demonstrative guy. You're not going to see him getting in people's faces and, mm-hmm. and checking them and yelling at them. But I remember when we saw the footage, the behind-the-scenes footage of Petro during that Stanley Cup run and you saw little moments where he would go up to Vladimir Tarasenko before the game and say things like you're the best player on on this ice tonight and they're going to feel your presence and the way that that impacted Mm -hmm. Tarasenko you saw that he led in his own way and in a different way and guys responded to it and I think you're you're going to see the same thing out of Ryan O'Reilly because that respect is already built in. Colton Pareko is another guy that has been awarded an A for his leadership ability because of the departure of some of his longtime teammates. And obviously, those are those are key guys that uh, have been around around the league for a long time, and they've they've seen a lot. But at the same time, the new leadership group, and it's tough to say leadership group because we have have a lot of players that have been around for a long time, and it's not just going to be the guys that that are wearing letters. That's for sure. It's it's going to be a, a collective group. Uh, that uh, that takes on this this role, and we're we're very confident. And we're excited to to get things rolling. And Michelle, yesterday I asked uh, Colton about being a number one defenseman, and he's so humble, he danced around the question. But I'll be interested to see how he reacts to ascending to being the guy on defense. Number 55 is number one on that defense, and I'm really intrigued to see what he does with the opportunity. I hope that he's not humble when it comes time to play and that he understands, hey, I'm the leader now. I think he gets it. Mm -hmm. He just is, to your point, such a deferential and humble guy. But I think that as time goes on and they start to play more games and he finds his voice that much more and becomes more comfortable in that role, that you're going to see more out of him in that way. And I think it's, it's funny because you don't say this about a leader. I think the best thing that he can do to lead, and this isn't a revelation for anybody, is to be more selfish. To take more shots, to Please use do. that shot. Fire it in there. Yeah, and, and take it about himself on the ice to to be the man. That's the thing. Just go out and be the man. And it's hard to fully feel that when you have a guy like Alex Petrangelo on your team. When, right. when you know, hey, I'm going to defer to him all the time, even if I am leading in one way or another. Petro is the guy. Petro is the guy. But now 
he's getting the support from his teammates. He's getting the support from his coach, from the front office. How many times did we hear Craig Berube or Doug Armstrong in the offseason say Colton Pareko is the leader on, on the defensive mm-hmm. side? He's going to be the leader of this team on that defense, and he knows it. No doubt. So the Blues will have a scrimmage tonight, 7 o'clock, and it's not open to the public, but they will have an opportunity to evaluate the players, especially get an idea of how the new players fit in, people like Hoffman and Krug and some of the other players that are getting an opportunity. And this will be one of the few opportunities in a game-type competitive situation that Craig Berube and his staff have an opportunity to evaluate the, the new guys on the team. Next up, tanking has become a big problem in Major League Baseball. How can they stop it? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Michelle, tanking has been such a big topic of conversation in Major League Baseball over the last several years. And there's something to be said for it. The Cubs obviously were able to get some really key players for their World Series champions. They got Chris Bryant in the draft, and they got Javi Baez in the draft, and they also took Albert Almora, who wound up being a pretty good player before they DF uh, before they non-tendered him this year. And Schwarber was a high draft choice for them too. And then you look at Houston. And they did a lot of drafting, actually, before Jeff Luno got there. They got people like Altuve and George Springer. And they were able to add and build through the draft. But then they go out and they they sign... uh, they trade for a guy like Verlander. They trade for a guy like McCann. They they sign a couple of outfielders, Carlos Beltran being one of them. It was actually those moves that put Houston over the top. When you look at what the Cubs did when they won, they added Lackey and they added uh, Jason Hayward. Not that he helped an awful lot. Randy Lace speech, Randy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that was huge. Uh, John Lester. <laughs> so... They had to add to their foundations. But it's really interesting now to look at the idea of tanking and how bad the Padres were for so many years. And here's San Diego ready to take off. And we look at them. I think we both do as one of the two best teams in the National League, right? Absolutely. They don't have a single first or second round draft choice that's helping them win, that helped them win last year. Maybe Mackenzie Gore will come up and be a key component. But when you look at the rest of the Padres lineup, it's not a lineup that was homegrown or is a product of them tanking. They traded James Shields to get Tatis Jr. They signed Machado as a free agent. Uh, they really have, uh, they, they obviously went out and got Lamette as a, a, an international guy, but they traded for Will Myers. They signed Eric Hosmer. They traded for a Cronenworth, their second baseman. It's not like they've taken advantage of high draft choices to win. So I think that should be one of the reasons that teams don't tank is because it really doesn't help you. You have to wind up spending a bunch of money anyway. Sure. And I think if you're Major League Baseball, you're looking at the issues you're already facing with sports fans in general about people saying baseball's too slow or it's too boring. The fact that sports fans have so many options from a content standpoint right now. When Major League, if Major League Baseball is honest with themselves and they look at the state of their game, they know that they need to do something to provide more entertainment to the general sports fan and to, to the general baseball fan. Because there's always going to be people in St. Louis that cheer for their city and cheer for the laundry. Mm-hmm. But if you're in a market that's also an NFL market or an NBA market and your team's tanking and you are you don't have really any 
joy coming out of watching a terrible team that you know is going to be terrible for a while as they build, something else is going to catch your attention. There's going to be something else shiny, whether it's the NFL, NBA, college football, whatever it might be, that you're going to defect to. So I think if you're Major League Baseball, you need to look at this situation and say, not only do we need to incentivize winning, but there needs to be consequences for losing. I don't know if that's financial. I'm a, This will never happen because owners will never agree to it. But that's what makes something like the EPL so exciting because relegation is yep. on the table. Every game matters, even towards the very end of the season. So if you're Major League Baseball, I would do something to shake it up, do something maybe a little bit more severe to say, hey, if you lose, whether it's a financial penalty or what, there are going to be consequences. If I were... Uh, I've got a couple of ideas here. Number one, if I were an owner like Bill DeWitt, I would want to have a salary floor because I don't think tanking primarily is about trying to get better. I think tanking primarily is about putting money in an owner's pocket. You look at Pittsburgh, that, that owner's putting money in his pocket. You look at the Marlins over the years, they've done that. Detroit has done that recently. In some cases, it is about getting better, but for the most part, it's about keeping money in Oakland, uh, keeping money and putting it in the owner's pocket. If you have an amount of money that each team that's getting revenue sharing has to spend on players, I think that's a huge advantage. So that's one thing I would do. The next thing I would do, and this could eliminate tanking altogether, is give the first pick in the draft to the top team that's not in the playoffs and have the mm-hmm. number two pick in the draft go to the second best team that's not in the playoffs and third. So if you don't make the playoffs, and I I guess they're going to go to 14 playoff teams now, so you'll have 16 teams that don't make the playoffs that are eligible for the draft. The team that finishes with the worst record should have the 16th pick in the draft. That will cause teams to try and less teams to bail out at the trade deadline. Yeah, because losing baseball is still printing money for a lot of these mm-hmm. owners. So if you're looking at that situation saying, yeah, we need to win to get in a better draft position to potentially build our team, or if we can't build through the draft, it looks like the only way for us to win is going to be through free agency. We're going to have to spend money. Either way, you're forcing them to want to do something to win. So uh, there are a couple of things that go into this. Number one with the salary floor. 2019, the difference between the top and bottom opening day payrolls, $158 million. Between number one, and I believe that was the Dodgers, number 30, which was the Pirates. Wow. The other issue is that you have so many players that are making, or so many teams that have two players. I believe the Dodgers last year in the World Series, their top two paid players were making more than the entire Rays roster was. That's incredible. Right. And it's incredible that the Rays made it, isn't it? Yes, it really is. But at the end of the day, it's all about being smart. Because you look at a franchise like the Rays or look at the A's who don't go to the World Series, but they're competitive every year. It's because they're smart. You look at the reason the Cardinals are not a World Series contender on an annual basis. People say, well, they got to spend more money. They're spending a lot of money. They're always in the top 10 in payroll. It's not about spending. It's about spending smart. And when you're spending $38 million on Carpenter and, and Fowler, all due respect to those players who try hard, given everything they got, but the Cardinals certainly aren't getting their money's worth out of those guys. Yeah, you said that, with all due respect. Right, yeah. So it's about being smart, in my opinion. It's it's not about trying to bludgeon something with a sledgehammer. You have to be... You have to be deft. You have to really have to be maneuverable when you have a baseball franchise. And I don't think the Cardinals now... I think when you're dealing... When you have a budget of, let's call it $165 million, 
and you're trying to build a roster with what I think are a couple of albatrosses that cost $38 million, I think it's really hard to win. It's really difficult. You're, you're spending money, just not money that's working for right. you. Um, I do wonder if Major League Baseball is seriously considering any of these options. And the only reason, normally I would say probably not because it's baseball and things seem to be antiquated a lot in baseball. Um, there does seem to be resistance to change things in baseball more than other sports. But when Major League Baseball sent out that survey to fans asking what they enjoyed about the game and more importantly, what they could do better, what they could do to improve the viewer's experience and what what viewers liked, what they were loyal to, what they would want to see. It made me wonder if they really are taking a look internally and saying, hey, we need to do some stuff to provide more entertainment and to give more more people, especially a new and younger generation of sports fans, a reason to love baseball. And I think eliminating tanking and giving markets that have had to endure tanking something to say, hey, this isn't going to happen again. You're going to at least get some form of competitive baseball, which is reason enough for you to contribute emotionally, financially, um, with with whatever you buy merchandise, all of these different things. I think that baseball, it would benefit them to look a little deeper and maybe make some of these changes. Yes, because there were multiple generations of Royals fans who didn't see winning. I think they have from 1985 until 2015, 95, 05, that 30 year period between their two world championships. I guess they went to the World Series in 14 and lost. But they, I believe they only had one or two winning seasons in a 29-year period. So you had multiple generations of fans who weren't excited about baseball. And that goes to what you're saying. Give them something to be excited about because very few, if any other baseball markets, have their sport be a social event. Credit to the Cardinals. And it's it's marketing genius <laughs> that it's not necessarily about the game anymore. It's baseball heaven. It is. Cardinal baseball is a place to go out and hang out with friends, have a beer, enjoy the weather, be outside. And if they win, great. But if they don't, well, you know what? We went to the ball game and we had a great time. But that plays in St. Louis because there's not a lot else to do right. here. It And also the Cardinals are a franchise that has won a lot. But if you're in – I mean – if you're is the San Diego Padres and you're looking at this saying, we're going for it. We are giving people a reason to come to the ballpark because guess what? The beach is calling. There, there's a yeah. lot. And I think that the Padres were really smart in the fact that they had a young core that they felt confident about. And they said, now's the time to go for it. But also, I think that they're recognizing the Chargers aren't here. This is our yep. time to really make people become diehard Padres fans. And you would think, let's look at Pittsburgh because the Steelers are great every year. The Penguins, they've, they've had Sydney Crosby and before him, Mario Lemieux. So they've been great for a long time. Look how cool it was, though, when Pittsburgh went to the playoffs for those couple of years. Yeah. And to me, that's inexcusable, that a market that's just like St. Louis, in terms of average income, in terms of Fortune 500s, we're actually a little bit, uh, our ability to spend is a little bit greater than Pittsburgh's in St. Louis. But Pirate baseball was pretty awesome in those couple of years that they were good. There's no excuse for that franchise to never try. No, not at all. And I think about a young person growing up in that market. Yep. And it. why are we Cardinal fans? Yes, because it's 
tradition here in St. Louis, and it's something that we're born into, and it's something that's learned for us, right? We go to games with our families. We talk about it with our friends. We're proud to be Cardinal fans. But I grew up in an era where maybe you were watching games on TV. The only other option was Nickelodeon, maybe, or a Disney VHS tape. Mm -hmm. These kids now have a high-tech computer in their hands at all times. They're watching YouTube. They're on social media. There's all of these other things that are way more exciting for them that they're pouring their energy into and that, frankly, they're getting addicted to because that's what it was when you're growing up. You become addicted to sports. Mm-hmm. You become addicted to the to the, the feeling of hope and the excitement of winning and following your favorite player. And now people are following YouTube stars and Instagram models like they're their favorite players. People care about other things more than they do sports now, a younger generation. I know it's hard for us sometimes to realize that, but when I go to a baseball game, Randy, and I sit in the press box and I look down, the majority of people I see are on their phones. They are not watching the right. game. They're there for a social, the social aspect of it. And they're going to show up in St. Louis because of the social aspect of things, but I just, if I'm baseball, I'm looking at that younger audience and I am marketing the hell out of a guy like Fernando Tatis mm-hmm. Jr., a star that is exciting and dynamic and that I can sell. And I'm finding ways to get a younger audience engaged coming up next on 101 ESPN and we do want to continue this conversation later on in the show because I I think Michelle and I we've got the idea of making baseball fun but how do you make baseball fun I think that's the big question that baseball needs to figure out the answer to yeah I have some thoughts We'll do that uh, coming up. But next up, we're going to head across the state. Jeffrey Chadiha of NFL.com is going to join us, talk some NFL, talk a little bit about the Browns and what they're dealing with on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, 101 ESPN in St. Louis. We head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line where Jeff Chidea of NFL.com is standing by. Jeffrey, good morning and Happy New Year. How are you doing? Good morning. I'm doing great and Happy New to you guys. I got to start with this because when I was in grade school, junior high, teachers had an awful lot of trouble with Carricker, K-A-R-R-A-K-E-R. They never got it right. <laughs> what about Chidea? Did, did your teachers have a lot of trouble with that one? I've heard it pronounced every which way you can say it. Um, and, and so usually I give people credit. They get it right on the first first occasion. So kudos to you for getting it, getting it right. Okay, Jeffrey. Well, speaking of getting it right or not getting it right, I feel like the first question football-wise that we have to ask you is about Doug Peterson. It seems like this story is not going away <laughs> coming out of Philadelphia. We now have Miles Sanders, their running back, coming out saying that no one in the locker room liked the decision to bench Jalen Hurts. We've heard reports coming out of Philly that two players had to be restrained from going after Peterson in the locker room. Do you think that this is something that he can come back from? If he's lost the locker room to this point, again, we know the reports too about his fractured relationship with Carson Wentz. Do you think that the Eagles stick with Doug Peterson for the future? You know, I think the more I look at this story, the more I think Doug Peterson is is taking arrows from somebody else. I don't know if that's Howie Roseman, uh, their general manager. I don't know if it's Jeffrey Lurie, their owner. But just that... The fact that those two guys haven't come out and condemned it in the same way the players have, um, to me, is, is very telling. Watching it in real time, I have no idea what I was watching. Uh, still uh, astonished by it. If you're saying you're playing to win and you're playing a third-string quarterback who's been with you for four years, who's had no success anywhere, um, it just doesn't make sense. And my, my big thing, I do feel bad for their players because long season, long practice week, you want to end on a high note, and it's totally robbed from you. So 
I, you know, I, I think, yeah, he's got a lot of issues in that locker room. But I think that the fact that Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman haven't come out and really slammed him for this and, and fired him already says that they had to be in cahoots with him. Jeffrey, you'll remember this. Back in 1998, the Rams were bad and no team worked harder. Dick Vermeil had them practicing three hours back in the days when they could. Last game of the season in San Francisco, Steve Bono is their backup and he gets the start, throws three touchdown passes. They're in the game against the Niners and he brings in the little known guy that he wants to take a look at named Kurt Warner. They don't put any more points on the board. Rather than picking eighth and having David Boston, they do get the sixth pick and they get Torrey Holt who would have been taken by the Cardinals if they would have gotten the seventh pick. Sometimes these things can work out for an organization, even though you don't like it that much at the time. Well, and that's, look, the only thing I have a problem with in all of this, aside from the players, um, you know, working hard and wanting to get a win, is that that's what you want to do. I'm fine with it. But just say it. Just say, hey, look, we're, we're playing for draft position. We're, we're out here. We're, we're not going to go out here and, and, and worry about what's going to happen with the NFC East race. We're out of it. We're worried about next year. And, and 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 say that, but I think anybody who listens to Doug Peterson saying what he was saying um, feels like he was lying. <laughs> you just can't sit there and watch a backup quarterback go out there and throw an interception on his first series and fumble a snap on the second and lose it and think you're trying to win a game. But your, your point is correct. I, I do think there's advantages in having a sixth overall pick versus a ninth overall pick just because of who might be available and and what kind of trade ammunition you may have. So, yeah, they have to be thinking about that. And by the way, we should note that from the time after Tua ran for his second touchdown, he was 2 of 12 for 7 yards passing and ran (laughs) 2 times for 8 yards. They ran 26 plates for 65 yards. It wasn't like Tua, or not Tua, but uh, Jalen Hurts was lighting it up. Yeah, and he, he wasn't, and, and and that makes me wonder what would they do with that sixth pick? Um, is there a quarterback they like more than him? Um, look, they've been a hot mess for the last for the second half of the season for the last two months. Uh, the way they've handled the Carson Wentz Jalen Hurts situation, the way they handled the fourth quarter of that game on Sunday night, uh, they clearly have gone from being a team that we forget this. We talk about the Chiefs so much and running it back. This team, you know, three years ago was in prime position to be a dynasty. And they've just completely ruined every opportunity they've had with bad mood, with injuries, with all kinds of things. So I, they're sitting there trying to hit a home run in the draft in the offseason because I think Holly Roseman, their GM, and Doug Peterson, their head coach, knows that they can't get this thing fixed next year. They're all going to be gone. Jeffrey, another team that is trying to fix what was a mess is the New York Jets. Their GM, Joe Douglas, was noncommittal about Sam Darnold when asked yesterday if he was going to be the Jets quarterback of the future. Do you think Sam Darnold stays with the Jets? And if not, where do you think would be a good landing spot for him? Well, I think that there's a good chance that he stays. Um, I look at what's happened with Sam Darnold, and I, I defy you guys to sit there and name three skilled players he's had around him all season long that are that are worth a damn. I, mean, I just think they haven't put a good supporting cast around him. And when you look at people like um, Patrick Mahomes here, uh, young quarterbacks who've had success, you look at um, around the league at quarterbacks like what Justin Herbert's done in, in, San, in San Diego in L.A. with the Chargers, uh, they've had good players around them. And so I, I really believe that if you – give young players help, they perform better. And so no matter who they want to put at quarterback next year, if it's not Sam Darnold, if it's somebody else, they're going to have similar problems if they don't improve the people around him. Now, where can you go? I think there's a lot of opportunities out there for teams looking for, for young quarterbacks. Look, the, the, the New England Patriots 
I, I guarantee you would have a, a, a big interest in a Sam Darnold. Um, I, I look at, you know, teams like the Denver Broncos have to be thinking about what are they going to do with Drew Locke? Is he the guy that they want to have? Sam Darnold was the top three pick in the NFL draft. I mean, he's got talent. He just has been on a bad organization for a long time. Jeffrey, as we have the two triple headers Saturday and Sunday, is there a team, a game, a storyline that particularly intrigues you this weekend in the first weekend of the 2020 playoffs? Uh, I think the uh, the Ravens-Titans game is the most interesting to me because I feel as if the Ravens have really rediscovered their identity from last year. Uh, they've gone through a lot of tough times with – they were six and five at one point, um, a huge COVID outbreak, um, and I think they got back to realizing that no matter what they want to do with Lamar Jackson, as far as turning him into a better passer, he's still a pretty dangerous player as a runner uh, who can make play with his arm when he has to. Uh, and so I think they still have great talent there. And we were talking about what Tennessee did to them last year in the playoffs. Titans beat them again this year on their own field, and there was some controversy there and how the Titans behaved and handled themselves. A lot of bad blood there. And so if the Baltimore Ravens want to be taken seriously, uh, and the Titans certainly have issues on defense lately, they got to win this game. So I think that's going to be the most, uh, the most intense game you'll see all weekend. Jeffrey, I know recently you had written at NFL.com about Aaron Rodgers and his hold on the MVP award. But um, now that the regular season is complete and you're looking back at the performances in totality, who's your NFL MVP? Well, I'm going with Aaron Rodgers. I feel like, I think, was it 48 touchdown passes and five interceptions and I think 70% completion rate. Just He had a career year uh, at a time when he came into the season. Everybody was talking about Jordan Love and the Packers looking to the future with that pick in the first round, not having a ton of help. Everybody was talking about how much help he needed, and he just went out and showed that he's pretty good with the guys he still has. So when you look at what's around him, it's not like Patrick Mahomes over here in Kansas City. I mean, it's guys like Robert Tanyan and Marquise Valdez, Scantling, and Echaminius St. John. Guys, I can't even pronounce their names. <laughs> <laughs> so he's turning all these guys into familiar, familiar names in Green Bay and outside of Green Bay. So you do that, you deserve the MVP. Jeffrey, before we let you go, Tom Brady is decidedly better this year in daytime Sunday games than he was in Sunday night or Monday night or Thursday night games. Do you think there's anything to take out, out of that? And should we should Brady and Bucks fans be concerned about the fact that he's playing in prime time, even though it's against the Washington football team? Are you saying old guys need to get to bed early? That's what they I'm don't saying. Perform as well yeah, take it from dark. an old guy. Uh, yeah, I would say that you might draw those conclusions. I think he's playing better teams that night in those primetime games. And they're another team that I feel like, you know, they could be, they could make a run. They've got a great first round opponent in the, in the, in the Washington football team. They beat Green Bay by 28 points earlier this year. So even though you're playing in Lambeau Field, it's probably going to be 50 below zero. Uh, they know that they can handle that team if they if they if they play their game. And I think they're coming into their own. And so I think Tom Brady walked into a situation there where you know they couldn't practice a lot in the off season. A lot of people showed up um, throughout the process with Gronkowski and Antonio Brown, guys like that. But you watched in the last four weeks. Granted, they're playing against losing teams and bad defenses, but they're scoring a lot of points and they're looking a lot more consistent. So I think he'll be okay uh, this Sunday night against the, uh, or this Saturday night against the, uh, the Washington football team. Good to hear your voice, sir. Thanks so much for the time. We do appreciate it. 
Thank you, guys. Take Take, care. Take care. Jeffrey Chidea of NFL Network and NFL.com on 101 ESPN. Of course, you can follow him on Twitter at Jeffrey, J-E-F-F-R-I, Chidea, C-H-A-D-I-H-A. Coming up, we've got a late edition of The Fight for you here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome back to Carriker and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. We have a late edition of the fight. Normally, we do it at 8.30, but we talked to Jeffrey Shadia of NFL.com. So we had to bump the fight to 8.45. So thank you to our competitor today, Andrew, for hanging on with us for a late edition of the fight. Andrew, good morning. How are you doing? Uh, yeah, actually, my name's Derek. Derek. Yeah, you got me mixed up, I guess. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, that's my fault, Derek. Sorry, Derek. Oh, that's okay. That's all right. Not a problem. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe I just introduced you. I had rolled out the red carpet, and then I s- totally ruined the dismount with the wrong yeah. name. And this is after we just talked to Jeffrey Chidea about people getting people's names wrong. Foreshadowing. So I, I, I should just win by default, right? Absolutely. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. Derek, I'm so sorry. Well, anyway, Derek, how are you today? Oh, I'm okay. How about yourself? You know what? Doing pretty good on a Wednesday. Randy and I weren't pleased because earlier in the show, people said we were a jinx because we chose the Dolphins to be our team. They got, you know, bounced from the playoffs. And then we picked the Browns yesterday, and now they have a COVID outbreak. So people are saying we're a jinx. Yeah, it's not looking too good, is it? But you know what? This Those people don't know about my history. I don't need to pull out the resume. But two words for the people that are calling me a jinx, red pants, okay? All right? Yeah, I, no, I have the history yeah. to back it up. He'll be fine. He's got to learn from his mistakes. I think he'll be fine. (laughs) That's right. All right, Derek, let's get the fight rolling here. Question number one for you. Devontae Smith became the third player from Alabama to win the Heisman Trophy last night. Who was the first player to attend Alabama to win the Heisman Trophy? Was it Derek Derek Henry, Mark Ingram, or A.J. McCarron? Uh, Mark Ingram. All right, how many times did Torrey Holt lead the NFL in receiving yards? Once, twice, or four times? Uh, Let's go with four. All right, Derek, who holds the single-season record for shutouts by a goalie in in a single season in Blues history? Let me give you that one more time. Who holds the single-season records for shutouts by a goalie in a single season in Blues history? Is it Brian Elliott, Chris Mason, or Glenn Hall? Chris Mason. And Derek, who is the Blues' active career playoff points leader? Is it Vladimir Tarasenko, Jaden Schwartz, or Colton Pareko? Uh, I'm going to go with Jaden Schwartz. Okay, we are checking our score here. Randy's on his way in. I hear some beeping, Derek. Are you in the car? I am, yes. I work for a delivery company on I'm pulled over, though. Nice, nice. But that means you're driving around. You get to listen all day, hopefully. Yeah, correct. All right, Randy's chatting with someone. We need to get him in the studio. Come on, Randy. <laughs> Having a convo in the hallway. Randy, I introduce our fighter today. 
And I called him Andrew, and his name's Derek. So <laughs> after we had just talked to Jeffrey Judea about uh-huh. messing up people's names, I called Derek Andrew. Oh, man. But it's Derek with us. All right. Andrew, how you doing? <laughs> Sorry, uh, I, I, I'm doing. I'm doing good, Michelle. How are you? <laughs> Great to have you with us. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. Oh Thank my you. gosh, All I right, love Derek. that, Derek. Maybe Andrew can be your alter ego. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll take it. You know, uh, Russell Wilson has Mister Unlimited. Beyonce yeah. has yeah. Sasha Fierce. We, 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 yeah. We can just drop the N and call me Drew, and I don't have to change my initials. (laughs) There There you go. go. Love it. All right, Randy, question number one for you. Devontae Smith became the third player from Alabama to win the Heisman Trophy last night. Who was the first player to attend Alabama to win the Heisman Trophy? The first player to attend Alabama. So this is the first Alabama Heisman Trophy winner, Mark Ingram. Okay. (laughs) Randy, how many times did Torrey Holt lead the NFL in receiving yards? Two. Randy, who holds the single-season records for shutouts by a goalie in a single season in Blues history? I believe it's still Moose, Brian Elliott. And Randy, who is the Blues' active career playoff points leader? This is somebody that's on the roster right now. Correct. With the Blues? or With, with the Blues. Okay. Um, this has changed dramatically over the course of the last few days, hasn't it? Um, I, I, Vladimir Tarasenko's on the list because he's an active lead. Yes. Okay. Yes. I'll go with Vladdy. We've got a winner. We have a winner and still champion, Randy Carricker. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs. Derek, not only did I butcher your name, but it was such a close fight. Randy just edged out three to two. Let's, oh boy! <laughs> let's blame well, Drew. Bro, tell, tell Randy that you guys will be calling me tomorrow because we already decided I won by default. <laughs> That's right. Okay, let's run through our answers here. So the first Alabama player to win the Heisman Trophy was Mark Ingram back in two thousand nine. Tory Holt led the NFL in receiving yards twice. Do you know the years, Randy? 2003? Correct. Nailed it. Um, The goalie that holds the single-season records for shutouts in Blues history is Brian Elliott. He had nine in the 2011-2012 season. And the Blues player who... I'm sorry. The question is, who is the Blues' active career playoff points leader? The answer is Jaden Schwartz with 54 career Mm. playoff points. Derek slash Drew, it was great chatting (laughs) with you. Thanks for playing. Thanks, guys. Have a great day. You too. We appreciate it. And thanks again for tuning in to Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. I was talking to a salesperson out in the hall. First, I was talking to Mike Ryder. I, I talked to him every fight day. But then I was talking to uh, our friend Lori Dickerson. And uh, so that's why. ABC, always be closing. Close the deal or what? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Working on uh, our friends at Bomberito. Talking to our friends at Bomberito. Love that. So, Looking forward to that. Coming up next on 101 ESPN, the Blues play tonight, as you know, here at 7 o'clock on 101 ESPN with Chris Kerber and Joey Vitale. What do you find, want to find out about the Blues and what can baseball do to be more fun? We want to hear from you about that. 65780, that's coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
Happy Hump Day. Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. It's 9.01. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Michelle and Randy with you. Great to have you with us. And Michelle, we have hockey tonight here on 101 ESPN at 7 o'clock. Yeah, we do. I'll be tuned in. You're Can't wait to Blue? listen. Yeah, your blues taking on your blues. <laughs> Who do you think is going to win, Randy, the blues? I'm going with the blues. Yeah. <laughs> You'll have this week in hockey with Chris Kerber, Joey Vitale, and Alex Ferrario at 6. And then at 7 o'clock, the play-by-play with Kerbs and Joey. What are the Blues hoping to get out of tonight? Here's Tyler Bozak. You just treat it like a preseason game. It's always nice to get, you know, one or two games in. I, I, I never really thought you needed, you know, seven, eight preseason games. So, um, you know, every every team's in the same boat. No teams are playing preseason games. So, um, you know, we'll treat our... Uh, you know, scrimmages, inter-squad scrimmages like a preseason game, obviously not going to be the same playing against, you know, your own team and knowing everybody's tendencies out there. But, uh, you know, we'll treat it as much as a, as a game as we can. Just be as competitive as you can be. Don't hurt anybody. Correct. But get your competitive edge going. That's exactly what I want to see tonight. I want to see a certain level of intensity. I want to see these lines get out there and start to develop some chemistry and make sure that everybody walks away healthy. <laughs> and I do think, Michelle, it's interesting. One of the lines that the Blues have is that Hoffman-Thomas line. And uh, one of the reasons that I thought that they should put Hoffman with O'Reilly and Perron is because those guys are reasonably heavy players that get back and play defense. And I just wonder if for the long term, if you're going to be able to put together a line that has uh, Hoffman, Schwartz, and Thomas. And Schwartzy is a terrific defensive player. He's probably the best two-way player on the team right now among the forwards. But I wonder if that can work for a long time because of Robert Thomas's inexperience, because Hoffman hasn't been known as a defensive stalwart so far in his career. I just wonder if that can work long term. But as we know in hockey, no lines are, are long term anymore. That's right. You can mix and match all the time. Yeah. Baseball. We were talking about it earlier and we want to hear from you. What would make baseball more fun? Michelle, you were talking about how young people consume the sport now what would you do to attract more young people to baseball? The first thing I would do, Randy, is I would actually let the kids play. That was baseball's big campaign. Let the kids play. But then you still have moments where a guy like Fernando Tatis Jr. is celebrating and flipping his bat, and you have to hear about it. I would say, hey, listen, these unwritten rules in baseball are ridiculous, and it's not attracting a younger generation. Think When I was growing up, Randy, and I would watch the greatest show on turf Rams play, when we would go out into the playground, everybody was doing the bob and weave. Uh-huh. Everybody was pretending I could be playing tetherball, and I'm celebrating doing the bob and weave. They need to have players, young, exciting players like Mookie Betts, or Fernando Tatis Jr. showcase joy in playing a game. They need to be able to be untethered and to be free to express themselves in different ways. One of the reasons that hockey is so popular, one of the reasons that the Chiefs are popular, the greatest show on turf was popular among kids, is because of the the action that takes place during the events. And as much as chicks dig the long ball, I don't see the action in baseball being what it is in other sports. I really believe that baseball would benefit from two things. Number one, call the strike zone as it is from the knees to the armpits, essentially, and make people swing the bat and then dejuice the baseball mm-hmm. so that it doesn't go over the fence. There's no team that should be hitting 300 home runs like the Twins did in the last full season of baseball. Those players that you're talking about, 
Betts and Tatis, and we'll add Mike Trout and Francisco Lindor to the list. Let them display their athleticism defensively and offensively. It's much more fun for me to watch action of players displaying athleticism by running the bases and making great defensive plays. And I don't think that's as necessary now with the three true outcomes. Nobody, I can't imagine there is anybody, at least I'll say, that enjoys watching somebody walk in baseball, taking four pitches. And I don't get as much of a kick out of a home run going over the fence as I do out of a triple. So I want to see people steal bases and run and hit triples and hit inside the park home runs. How about this suggestion from the 314? This is how you make baseball more fun. Seven inning doubleheaders twice a week. You start the first at noon, the second at 330. More days off for players, more chance for kids to see games. I love that idea. And I think that's a really important part of this because when the Cardinals have a seven o'clock start and the game lasts three hours and five minutes and you've got a seven, eight year old who's impressionable and just starting to get into sports, that kid's usually going to bed at about nine. Right. So allow them to see the game. That's a great point. From the 314, baseball would be more fun if we played more small ball, whitey ball. It won't happen. The contracts are about numbers. Tom Hurry gave up bats in order to allow Vince Coleman to move. Same way Kurt Flood and Ken Reitz did for Lou Brock and Ted Sizemore. That's what I'm talking about, is make the game more athletic. And that's... I, I get that baseball right now pays players to hit home runs, but wouldn't the owners like it more? If they didn't have to pay players more and they had a more attractive product? Probably. Yeah. And I I get it that there are people out there that love to see five runs, six runs, seven runs scored in a game, all coming from solo homers. That's not my idea of action. No. I would also, if I was Major League Baseball, corral a bunch of the stars in the game and actually treat them like stars. I would take Fernando Tatis Jr., Mookie Betts, Mike Trout, who... Everyone says is the best baseball player in America. And except the, for Greg Gamesinger. Except for Greg Gamesinger. And the majority of people don't really know or ever watch play. And I would do a full court marketing press. I would put them on everything, Randy. I would have them on cooking shows. I would have them on with Jimmy Fallon. I would have them at the Grammys. I would be like, what do yeah. we need to do to get Mookie Betts to introduce Beyonce at the Grammys? Make sure to put stars in the limelight. Why do you think the NBA and the NFL is successful? Because it's they are star-driven leagues. People tune in to watch LeBron or they tune in to watch KD. They tune in to watch Watch a Patrick Mahomes. Even if you're not a Chiefs fan, you want to see what Patrick Mahomes is doing mm-hmm. because he's a star and he's treated as such. They need to treat the stars of the game like they're stars. And have your partners utilize those guys wearing their jerseys and making plays. And hopefully it's happening. Fernando Tatis Jr., I don't know if you've seen the commercials. He's endorsing Bolt 24 from Gatorade. And the headline at CNBC, when they signed Fernando Tatis Jr. to the contract when Gatorade did. Gatorade finds its new Derek Jeter. And that's what baseball needs to have is its new Derek Jeter. But like you say, not just one guy. Have multiple players. Have Francisco Lindor's smile all over television, right? Absolutely. And Derek Jeter is one of one because not only was he that great, he played in the biggest market in America and he dated every famous 
actress mm-hmm. or musician that there was. So he was constantly in pop culture. He wasn't just a baseball star. He was a pop culture star. So it's going to be difficult to ever replicate that just because of all of those factors. But yes, treat someone like they're Derek Jeter. Put them out there. Get them on the cover of magazines. We see James Harden, Russell Westbrook on the covers mm-hmm. of, of magazines all the time. We need more baseball players to be stars to attract a younger audience. And I know that probably sounds... Um, you know, a little trite, but it's it's a fact. All of these kids need something to be a hook. They need a reason to want to tune in. Here's a great point from the 314. If the Watt brothers and Gronk can have game shows, why can't Bryce Harper or Mookie Betts? That's a great point. And that's something that baseball should push, in my opinion. Absolutely. And one other point here, let's localize this, because I, I think the only guy the Cardinals have right now that you put in that realm in terms of position players is maybe Dylan Carlson. I don't think that there's anybody else where you say, okay, that player's really going to be exciting and attractive and somebody that a young kid is going to watch on TV and say, I want to be like that. I think the Cardinals were hoping that guy was going to be Harrison Bader. Yeah. Which is why he wore the powder blues. He was the guy unveiling the uniforms. We saw him on MLB Network a lot a few years ago. But the play has to go along with that. But here's a guy who can be electric and dynamic in the outfield. He's from New York. He's got that swag about him. I think if I'm the Cardinals, I would certainly hope that he could put it together at the plate for many reasons. But yes, because of what the production will do. But because he's a marketable guy. There's people that won't remember this. So if you do remember this, I apologize. But here's what Mike Schilt should do. I'm not saying the, the Cardinals. Mike Schilt should do this with Harrison Bader. And I understand that the Cardinals are all in on analytics and they're all in on three true outcomes. But that's stupid. <laughs> all right? Here's what Mike Schilt should do, just like Whitey Herzog did with Ozzie Smith. When Ozzie got to St. Louis, he was a 150-pounder that tried to hit home runs all the time. And Whitey made a bet with him. He said every time to Ozzie, Every time you hit a line drive or a ground ball, I will give you a dollar. Every time you hit a fly ball or strike out, you give me a dollar. All right. So the things that Ozzy couldn't accomplish hitting home runs were off the table. So he stopped trying to do it. And he tried to use utilize his talents, what he had, his speed and his gifts, and so he started hitting line drives and ground balls, ground balls getting through on the AstroTurf, line drives, and he started getting hits, and by the middle of the season, he was so far ahead that Whitey canceled the bet. But that's what Mike Schilt should do with Harrison Bader. And I know that Harrison Bader has the ability to hit some home runs. So did Ozzy. We saw it in 1985. But what Harrison Bader's goal should be, since our last memory of him is striking out five times in a game, Yeah. What he should be trying to do is get his bat on the ball and hit line drives or ground balls and forget the launch angle crap and try to get on base and use his speed and his ability. I like that idea. A game within the game. Yeah. Hey, at the end of the day, the reason that these guys make it, aside from talent, is that they're incredibly competitive. That's why Harrison Bader's in the major leagues, because he's an intense competitor. And if he has that bet with Mike Schilt, then he's going to succeed at it. And if if not Mike Schilt, somebody, another player, make that bet with Harrison Bader so that it's not just a bunch of fly balls and strikeouts. Should we just get in touch with Rob Manfred in Major League Baseball and say, hey, we have some ideas? Yeah, we do. Like, let us help you. Yeah. People helping people. It's powerful stuff. Yeah. I I think that 
we need to get Rob Manfred on the show. But we'll it, be respectful. Of course. But it does seem like they understand that there's an opportunity for them to make their game more entertaining and more exciting. As we mentioned a few segments ago, if they sent out that survey to fans from Major League Baseball asking about fans' preferences and how they could improve the product, it means they're already having internal conversations about right. it. And I wonder, after the pandemic season, when so many people loved the seven-inning doubleheaders and so many people mm-hmm. loved certain parts about this season. A lot of people liked that it was a shortened season as far as the number of games because they they didn't have to invest as much time as they do in a regular season. Now, I know that that's not going to fly because of the money aspect of all of this, but I do wonder if baseball is looking at the response that they got after some changes were made and they think, hey, maybe in the wake of all this, this is our chance to make some other right. changes and to try some stuff. Yeah, because it was accepted. Two more quick ones. Number one, from the 573 Make it more exciting by cutting back on the long ball, but limit the shift. I think limiting the shift, even though I'm not a huge proponent, whether they do it or not, if it's going to make the game better, I, I'm I'm on board. Mm-hmm. And from the 618, this is one we haven't brought up, but it really is interesting. The NFL has a game on Nickelodeon this weekend. Attract young kids. That's smart. Yeah, and, and utilize the partnerships that you have to try to do something like that. That's really smart. It is. Thank you very much for being with us on today's Big Thing on 101 ESPN. Next up, do the Cardinals need Jack Flaherty to be a top 10 pitcher in baseball to be contenders? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Michelle, we were talking about base, making baseball more fun and the things that are exciting in baseball. But ultimately, as Gene Stallings, the former football Cardinals head coach, said, the fun is in the winning. <laughs> and ultimately, winning is a product of great pitching. We saw it with the Dodgers again. We saw it with the Rays. Now they actually took out their great pitcher, and that's one of the reasons that they didn't force a Game 7. And if the Cardinals are going to win their division, the reason is going to be that they have better and deeper pitching than everybody else. Does somebody, especially with Dakota Hudson out, need to step up? Yes, but I think the Cardinals have their guy. And I want to read you a little piece from David Adler at MLB.com. You can read this piece at Cardinals.com. It's seven players poised to have a bounce back season in 2021 and Adler writes an ERA close to five from the game's top one of the game's top young aces don't worry Flaherty was a better pitcher than that shows he was great on opening day but then he couldn't pitch again for nearly a month as the Cardinals dealt with the COVID outbreak that meant Flaherty could only make nine starts and couldn't throw as many innings as normal so his ERA was blown up by one bad game against the Brewers on September 15th when he allowed nine runs in three innings throughout that start and Flaherty's ERA drops to 3.13 Flaherty's strikeout and swing and miss numbers were at the same level in 2020 as they were in 18 and 19. And nothing happened to his stuff. His slider in particular continued to be extremely effective. Only the ERA was the problem. Expect Flaherty to fix it. I expect Jack Flaherty to be a legitimate number one, number one front of the rotation starter in 2021. And I'm of the belief that everything falls in place behind a true number one. And regardless of whether or not Wainwright is back, I still think the Cardinals starting rotation with the talent that they have is going to be representative. Yeah, given the disruptions of the seasons and the limitations put on Jack Flaherty, I'm 
taking his 2021 performances and putting an asterisk on all of them. And I am not going to set the expectation to the second half that we saw in 2019 because that's unrealistic and that's unfair. But hopefully we can find somewhere in the middle where he is a dominant number one for the Cardinals. And they're going to need him to be because if you are looking at a team that's constructed basically the same, perhaps minus a Yachty or Molina, perhaps minus... Uh, Colton Wong, you're going to take a little bit of a hit defensively. And if your offense is the same, you know that that's something that you can't rely on. So you're going to once again have to rely on your pitching staff to carry you through games. And who better to lead that charge than Jack Flaherty? Now, perception may be reality. And when you're a guy like Buster only, you can make reality. And at ESPN.com, Buster put together his list of his top 10 starters and top 10 relievers. His top 10 starters, he says, are Jacob deGrom, Garrett Cole, Shane Bieber, Trevor Bauer, Max Scherzer, Hugh Darvish, Lucas Giolito, Clayton Kershaw, Aaron Nola, and Walker Bueller. Difficult to argue with any of those names, but also difficult to believe that Jack Flaherty, who, by the way, was uh, pitched by that very same Buster only as a Cy Young Award winner last year. Hard to believe that Flaherty couldn't enter that conversation and with a couple of good starts, be among that group. No, absolutely not. Not unrealistic because I would imagine that he's right on the fringe there. And with some great performances early in the season, definitely can enter that conversation. But that's the thing about Jack Flaherty is that you know the potential is there for him to be a Cy Young winner. We said about him last season, I believe, heading into the 2020 season, Mm -hmm. pre-pandemic, a lot of us were taught, or maybe even it was during that. I I believe I said it's not if he's going to win a Cy Young award, it's when. He is capable of being a true number number one dominant Cy Young award winning pitcher. And so when I look at all of these names on the list, yes, I, I believe those 10 players right now are better positioned than Jack Flaherty is, but I think that he's right on the edge of that and could easily take that step. So do we think it's an absolute lock that a Cardinal rotation of Flaherty, KK, Michaelis, Gomber, Reyes, let me give you those five okay. Flaherty, KK, Michaelis, Gomber, Reyes, I want your opinion because I, I, I'm not sold that that's a top five or six rotation, but do I think that rotation has a chance to be really good? Yes. I think that group from a talent standpoint is as good as anybody's one through five. If everything goes their way. That's right. From a talent standpoint. <laughs> yes. Now, in terms of execution, I don't know. And I have, I think we all have legitimate questions. But that's a group that has a chance, at least, to get you through six months with some help. Obviously, you're not going to go through six months with only five starting pitchers. But I think that's a group that has a chance to be pretty darn good. It does. They have a lot of talent within that group, but a lot of question marks. Totally. And uh, uh, all question marks, right? All, all of them question marks. And if I can't rely on the offense, and even though the defense will be relatively sound, I know that you're removing two elite defensive players from the equation. And then you give me this as the reason to believe the Cardinals are going to win games. Sure, do they have the ability to go out there and be a very strong collective of pitchers? Of course. I can't count on Alex Reyes as much as I want to. I cannot count on Alex Reyes. I don't know what Miles Michaelis is going to be like returning off from an injury. I don't know what KK is going to look like once guys have more experience with him and the tape with him. Yes, I think Jack Flaherty can be an ace of of the staff, but I don't know until I see it consistently, until I see him put it together for an entire season. I can't bet on that. 
Gomber too. Gomber too. Same yeah. same thing yeah. for Gomber. Now, in terms of Buster's top ten relievers, Liam Hendricks, Devin Williams, Josh Hader, two Brewers by the way, Nick Anderson, <laughs> Aroldis Chapman, Zach Britton, Tyler Duffy, Rysel Iglesias, James Karanchek, and Drew Pomerantz. Not on the list. Jordan Hicks, not on the list. Giovanni Gallegos. But can the Cardinals... Hey, let's start with this. If Jordan Hicks is healthy, does he dent that top 10? Yes. I think he does too. And I think he's out of sight, out of mind right now because he missed last season. It would be a pretty bold thing to put him on the list right now coming off that injury and not having a body of work from last season to reference. But I think, to your point, once we get Jordan Hicks back in action, if he can return to form, he's definitely a name that should be on that list. And then when you put together a group of pitchers that includes Hicks, Gallegos, Miller, Webb, Helsley, Cabrera, uh, I, I think you've, John Gant, I think you've got, a, again, a group of guys with legitimate question marks for a rational person. Some people are going to say, no, they're going to be awesome. And some people are going to say they're going to be terrible. But think about it with a little bit of nuance. It's a group that has physical abilities that if they execute and maximize those abilities, they can be really, really good. Do you feel more confident in the group of relievers than you do the group of starters the Cardinals have I right do. now? I do as well. Yeah. As a matter of fact, if you had Reyes in that bullpen, I've, I I feel more confident in Reyes as a reliever than a starter, but I need to ultimately see Alex Reyes as a starter. Yeah. But if he's in my bullpen, if I if my 7th, 8th, and ninth is Reyes, Gallegos, Hicks, I'm saying I'm playing six inning games. <laughs> yeah, that's some firepower there. But again, as you mentioned, if not now, when with Alex Reyes, he's finally healthy. He's coming off a season where he feels good about himself. He has yet another full off season to prepare his body. He's a guy who wants to be a starter. Notice that we didn't mention Carlos Martinez, right. by I, the way. I, but um, he's a guy who wants to be a starter. At the winter warm up last year, he said, I am preparing as a starter. I want to be a starter. And if you're ever going to give Alex Reyes that opportunity, I think he now is the time for him to earn it. And I do want to point out, Michelle, that if. Buster only would have put together his top 10 starters last year. Shane Bieber wouldn't have been in the top 10. Hugh Darvish wouldn't have been in the top 10 after the year that he had had with the Cubs. Lucas Giolito wouldn't have been in the top 10. And among the relievers, certainly Devin Williams, who we didn't know anything about, wouldn't have been in the top 10. Nick Anderson, probably not. Not Duffy. Not not Karinchik. And Drew Pomerantz may or may not have. So these are quite fungible things change over the course of time because last year we put Justin Verlander in that list without question but now he's undergoing Tommy John surgery has undergone it so uh, so he can't be on the list so the Cardinals certainly have an opportunity to have some guys get on these lists but at the same time we're being rational here uh, there's a chance that uh, they will not be on that list either. And before we get to uh, your killing me, Smalls, here on 101 ESPN, we do have some news. Um, actually, I'm going to tell you about it coming up next. Ooh, a deep tease. Next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. What's totally killing Smalls right now? You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls, with Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN. It's time for your killing me, Smalls, but we get started with some breaking news. 101 ESPN breaking news alert. 
Randy, Clemson quarterback Trevor Lawrence posts on his Twitter. Thank you, Clemson, dot, 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 with a two-minute and 20-second video looking back on his time at Clemson, all of the things that he celebrated there, that, that he's earned there, thanking the coaches, thanking his teammates, officially announcing he's entering the NFL draft. So he didn't say... I'm coming back. No, he did not. He didn't. He didn't <laughs> say I'm coming home, LeBron James style. Or he, uh, he says thank you, Clemson. Peyton Manning actually did come back for his senior year. No shock that Trevor Lawrence is coming out. So welcome to Jacksonville, Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. And Do you think luck. he's already looking for real estate there? I would think that he probably is. He probably is going to make a few bucks. Oh man, if you were him, are you excited? It's got to be an unbelievable feeling to know what a commodity you are and that you're mm-hmm. going to go number one overall in the NFL draft. That it's not even a question. Right. That you're the guy. But you go to Clemson, you go to an established program with a coach who knows how to win. You're in a great position with a, with a great supporting cast. I wonder what that is like because on one hand, you're so pumped that you are in this position to earn all this money and go out there and live your dreams. But you know you're going to a place where you do not have all of those luxuries and that you're going to have to suffer for a while and you're going to have to build something. If you're Trevor Lawrence, you think that you're like Peyton Manning going to Indianapolis. You think like you're like Baker Mayfield going to Cleveland and you think that you are going to be able to turn around a franchise. That's the sort of confidence a great quarterback should have. I'm sure he does have. And I wouldn't be surprised if he does turn things around there. Now, it took Mayfield three years. It took Manning a couple of years. Remember, his first year, they went 3-13. and But that's the sort of transcendent generational talent that he is, that Trevor Lawrence is. So I would have to believe that he's thinking not that they're bad, that I'm good enough that I can lift them up. But you know that that's not going to happen instantaneously, that there's going to be obstacles along the oh, way. Oh, so he's not Dan Marino. No, of course not. Dan Marino took over a Super Bowl team, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, the situation is different. You know that it's going to be painful for a while, and that's not something he's used to. No, but maybe only a year. I don't know. Also, you come from a place like Clemson, where you have a killer fan base, yeah. and now you're going to Jacksonville. I'm telling you, Peyton Manning. Three and 13, one year, 13 and three the next. Kurt Warner, four and 12, 13 and three. So you can turn it around in a hurry. Just I, need some. I hope he does because. I do too. Sports is better when you have star players like Trevor Lawrence be star players. Yeah. And I, I can root for him. Absolutely. And there's, there's, uh, there's some ties to the Jags still here in St. Louis. I'd like, to, well, and Mark Lamping is their president. Khan is obviously from the area. He's an Illinois guy. So I, I could. Randy, what? we have one Florida team on this show. That's true. Okay, good point. Come on. My we, bad. My I bad. know they didn't make the playoffs, Randy, but My how bad. quickly we they, lose our loyalty. They didn't make the playoffs because there's no integrity in Pittsburgh. <laughs> You're killing me, Small. Also, we talked about this at the top of the show. We need to address it again. To all those who said that because there's now a COVID outbreak in Cleveland Minutes after Randy and I announced that the Cleveland Browns were our playoff team, calling us a jinx, you're misinformed. Randy and I are not jinxes. As a matter of fact, we're quite the opposite of a jinx. We are mojo deliverers. (laughs) When we followed... Official title. Yeah. When we followed the Miami Dolphins, they won four out of five games. The Miami Dolphins would be in the playoffs if it weren't for... Mike Tomlin deciding to sit down Ben Roethlisberger and Marquise Pouncey and Cam Jordan and TJ Watt. They beat Cleveland. They only lost by two with those guys not playing. And 
the Steelers should have won that game if they had any integrity at all. Cleveland should have lost that game, which puts the Miami Dolphins in the playoffs, which is completely a product of Carriker and Smallman. Absolutely. Some finger pointing going on in the text line, by the way. Can I read you some? Yeah, sure. This from the 314. BT is the jinx. Miami, Cleveland, and Vegas, all his teams. He also adopted the Steelers right before they lost their first game. That sounds reasonable. I can totally see that. BT. Yeah. Thanks a lot, right? <laughs> hey, it's almost like when he... When he picks a team, they're kind of like, oh, Russell Brannion. <laughs> oh, man. All right. This one from the 573, tra- taking direct aim at me. Uncle Randy Michelle is the jinx. In 2019-2020, in the offseason, she was cheering on the bro connection of the Cardinals outfield duo and Harrison Bader and his hair and Tyler O'Neill and his muscles. Look how that turned out. The Rams, the Illini, the Dolphins, and now the Browns. It's Michelle. I would respectfully disagree with that, and I appreciate you paying that much attention, but I think there were extenuating circumstances in each instance. I was cheering on the outfield because we needed some production. I was yeah. trying to put it into the it, it was a cheer of hope. Yeah, and I had nothing to do with the Rams <laughs> leaving. Don't you put that on me. Don't you put that evil on me. Okay, that had nothing to do with me. The Illini, listen, they've had their moments. They haven't been terrible since I've been cheering for them. We went to a national championship game for crying out and loud. And you were a student? What's happened since you graduated? That's right. And if we want to really pull out the resume, Randy, I don't feel like I need to do this, but I'm going to. I'm going to slap it on the table. Since I moved home, what has happened to St. Louis? Okay. We know about the red jeans. Every time I've worn the red jeans in person in a Cardinals postseason game, they are undefeated. The Cardinals, since I came home, they hired Mike Schilt. They're back in the postseason. The Blues, oh, you may remember, they won their first Stanley Cup championship. We got an MLS team. Randy, how about the Battlehawks? The Battlehawks came to St. Louis and set the town on fire when I came home. So I don't want to say it's me, but it's me. And how did the Battlehawks finish up? You know what, Randy? They're coming back. They took a brief hiatus because of a pandemic. We all are dealing with issues, but they're coming back. I mean, The Rock is now in charge of the XFL, so I'm going to put that feather in my cap, too, and say I'm responsible for that. I'm totally on board. I'll I'll, I'll co-sign on this. But I am a little weary of publicly picking a team now. I will say that. We're we're 0 for 2 with NFL teams. Kind of scuffling. Yeah, kind of. You're killing me, Smalls. All right, Randy. Well, someone who isn't scuffling is Chase Young, who's had an unbelievable season. And after the Washington football team punched their ticket to the postseason, they realized they were going to play the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And Chase Young had one thing on his mind. There's one person that he's looking forward to seeing. Tom Brady, I'm coming. I want Tom Brady. That's what Chase Young was screaming as he exited the field, Randy. And Bruce Arians heard that audio. He had a comment about it. He said, we'll have our hands full, but it's one of those games where you better watch what you wish for. So if you're looking at this battle, whose side are you taking here? Do you think it was wrong for Chase Young to poke the goat and say, I'm coming for you, Tom Brady? Or are you looking at the situation and saying, Tom Brady can't get away from him. (laughs) I'm I'm taking Chase Young. I can't take Chase Young here because, as we mentioned the other day, Tristan Wirfs has been great at right tackle. Chase Young is awesome. But I thought Ryan Clark made an interesting point this morning. He said, literally, for Chase Young's entire life, he's grown up as a defensive player wanting to sack Tom Brady. Tom Brady's played in the league for 20 years, 21, 20 years. Chase Young is 21 years old. So that's been his dream as a five-year-old, a six-year-old, a 10, a 15, and a 18, a 20-year-old. His dream has been to chase down Tom Brady and sack Tom Brady. I 
totally get why a young player would say, I'm coming for you, Tom Brady. But yeah, you don't want to poke that bear too much. Yeah, it is a sign of respect. It's it's mm-hmm. if you're Chase Young, that's you've made it. If you're sacking Tom Brady in a postseason game, you've made it, right? But I also would be a little nervous because even though Tom Brady is of a certain age, you know that that fire burns deep. And if he's heard that audio, he might try to to outshine him in a way. I don't know. It's going to be an interesting matchup. Tom Brady has done that to DBs in the past. One of the great stories that I've ever heard is DeMarco got his first NFL sack when the Rams, the LA Rams, were playing against the Kansas City Chiefs. Joe Montana was the quarterback, and he sacks Joe Montana and then looks at him and says, hey, you're Joe Montana. (laughs) (laughs) What did Montana say? Montana said, well, yeah, I am. That's me. (laughs) Confirmed. (laughs) You're killing me, Smalls. A wise man's one. A wise man once told me that the cure for anything is Sudafed and Mountain Dew. Yeah, that could solve pretty much any problem you have. Well, some news on the Mountain Dew front that I wanted to share with you, Randy. Mountain Dew has unveiled its first new permanent flavor in more than a decade. Ooh. It's called Major Melon, and it's watermelon flavor. Watermelon flavor Mountain Dew. Worth a try. It's also available with zero sugar. Oh, definitely worth a try. Now, was the last one code red? I don't. I wonder if the last permanent probably. Mountain... I think you might be right. Huh. I I'm intrigued. I was hoping that it wasn't musk melon or cantaloupe or <laughs> a, a, a melon that I don't like. I am a fan of watermelon, and I'm intrigued. Even though, for the most part, Mountain Dew has been a citrus product, and I kind of like the citrus. Although oh. that's what's their main. Because it's a, it's a flavor that I don't like, the main flavor of Mountain Dew. The regular Mountain Dew? Yeah. Well, the last the last permanent flavor was back in 2010, and it was white out, the citrus okay. flavor. Okay. Well, that's interesting. Okay. Uh, I like it. I think it's worth a try. So props to them. Do you think that the melon flavor, Major Melon, Randy, will have the same healing properties as regular Mountain Dew? No. Okay. There's only one. The, the original Mountain Dew is the only one that can cure pretty much every ill that's out there. Okay. I mean, all due respect to Moderna and Pfizer, but they should have tried Mountain Dew and Sudafed first. How do we know that's not what's in the vaccine? It could very well be. <laughs> could be. Thanks, Michelle. You got it. Coming up next, we're going to talk things over and cross things over with Dan McLaughlin. Scoops with Danny Mac coming up on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Getting ready for Scoops with Danny Mac here on 101 ESPN. And we were having a conversation, a couple of conversations about baseball. And number one, about the Buster-only list of top 10 pitchers in Major League Baseball right now. And we wanted to know what your thoughts were on his list and whether or not you thought any Cardinals could could dent that list in 2021. Jack Flaherty, for sure. I was going to talk about this on my show. I'll continue the uh, conversation for those that maybe are tuning in at 10. Um, I would think for my starters, Jack Flaherty has got to be on that conversation. I, I know that they've got some great ones here. And number one on my list would be Jacob deGrom. I, I think Jacob deGrom is the best pitcher in baseball, in my opinion. And and I know a lot of people would look at Shane Bieber, who had a great year. Uh, you know, Max Scherzer, if he's right, would be incredible. You always throw in a Clayton Kershaw, but he's getting older. Walker Bueller, if he's healthy, is dominant. But if, if Jack Flaherty is there, 
and and coming off what was a truncated season and it was just a start and stop for him and it was just an odd year for him if he comes in healthy and ready and it's a normal year and if we start spring training on time I would put Jack Flaherty in my top 10 in terms of relievers I'm not sure there is one for the Cardinals I think currently constructed like just going in I understand the list that he's got I'm fine with it but I think there's some by the end of the year that could be, like a Jordan Hicks could mm-hmm. be. I don't think I would put him into it yet just because he's coming off of Tommy John. So if by the end of the year, he would be in my, my top 10 potentially. And last year, Dan, when this list is put together, there's no way Devin Williams is on it. Right. And so by the end of the year, yes, if he's healthy and they – ease him in and they give him the time to get healthy and there's no hiccups as we go along and because I'm not sure that he starts as matter of fact I I would think he doesn't start as your closer I think they're going to be very cautious with him it's kind of like bringing the Ferrari out of the garage Mm -hmm. and you had to go with a tune-up and maybe you had some (laughs) problems with it and so you're like well let's let's not gas this thing all the way up down the highway you know and (laughs) let's be a little careful with it but then by the middle of the summer, you give him a few opportunities and you let it ride. And then by the end of the summer, when you really need him and you let him go and he is your closer and he is the guy at the back end of games. And then, you know, um, I think at that point you let it rip and he becomes the dominant guy that you expect. I, I don't see how he's not in your top 10. I mean, the guy's got a 101 mile an hour sinker. It's unbelievable. How, he, how do you how do you not put him in your top 10? He's incredible. He is. And that's why I would put him in there. And then the other thing we talked about was making baseball fun. And Michelle talked about letting the kids play, which is something that... So Michelle's uh, perfect for this. Yeah. Because we're a bunch of old geezers. (laughs) Right. And And she's young and vibrant and happy and we're miserable. And she she understands the point of action, right? And what... I want action in the game too, though. What young people are consuming. And that's what I talked about. I I said, expand the strike zone to what it says it should be in the rule book, and dejuice the ball so that we see more people using their athleticism on the bases and on defense. But, I, see, I, but, but the, the kids want home runs. But I, I don't think that that's action. I don't know if that's necessarily the case. I think if they got a load of... Whitey ball. Well, yeah, of what baseball Scoring. can be, and it wasn't just either taking a walk or hitting a home run. I think there would be so much more action and the game would be more attractive to everybody. Because why do kids like hockey? Because it's consistent action. Why is the NBA popular among kids? Because there's consistent action. And I think that's something that baseball needs to have more of. Now, you're never going to have consistent action, but I think you can have a whole lot more if you do those things. Well, I think a problem is, and it's not a problem, it's a it's just a fact of life now is that these guys are so good on the mound. I don't know if we can get to that point because these guys are all throwing 95 and above. It's just the game is so hard for these hitters. That's a problem. Um, I think one of the things you can institute is just speeding up the game. And I agree with if you, the players are so good to adapt. Like, so if you, if you made the strike zone bigger, I think the players would adjust and be more adapt to forcing them to, swing and put the ball in play like Matt Carpenter his when he's right is is so good at knowing the strike zone like there was a year that they went back and looked at when he was taking pitches he was right more times than he was wrong about looking at a strike zone and and when he took a pitch it was when he took it it was a ball and when he swung it was a strike and he was right 
So those guys, more times than not, know the strike zone better than the the umpires, it seems Mm -hmm. like. So if you open it up to force them to swing, I do think that you would have more balls in play. But going back to the Jordan Hicks thing, it's tough to put a ball in play. So to your point, I agree with that. There's just the the specialization of the game has made it really hard late innings mm-hmm. for guys to put the ball in play. I do want to see though the ball in play. We got to find a way to put the ball in play to see more action. We got to have it. back. I thought about that. I actually have. I thought about that they a couple were of nights. Try ago. that right in an independent league. Move it back to sixty-two was, feet six yes, inches and lower. They were going to move it back yeah. and lower it. Yeah. To try to make, yeah, it would be. Yeah, it would. Um, from an aesthetic standpoint, Dan, what do you think about letting guys celebrate? Because I, I said when I was a kid and I was watching The Greatest Show on Turf, we would go out to recess and everybody was doing the bob and weave. Right. We loved it. And if even if it's just something as small as that, if you have kids who are playing and they're flipping their bat saying, I'm Fernando Tatis Jr., I think that it, having an infusion of joy in the game and letting guys celebrate their accomplishments and throwing out all of these unwritten rules, you might attract a younger audience. I think we're going to see it more and more and more this year. Do you guys agree with that? Agreed. I hope so. I, I think we saw it a lot even last year with no fans. And when you watched the postseason, especially if you're a Cardinal fan, if you only watched the Cardinals and you watched how San Diego uh, went nuts with Tatis and mm-hmm. Machado and all that stuff, I think that's kind of where the trend of this game is going. And I watched a lot of the postseason and saw a lot of the celebrations. And I, I watch a lot of baseball in general anyway. I think that's where it's going. And I think it's going to be accepted. Um, I, I watched um, or I saw on Twitter the other day, and I can't remember who the pitcher was. And there was a, a video talking about or showing a bat flip. And, a, and it was very exaggerated. And the pitcher said, I'm a pitcher. And I don't mind this. And, and said, we need more of this. <laughs> That's good. And, and so I think it's going to be more accepted. I really do. And I, I think the older fan may not like it, but it's it's going to be accepted. Yeah, it's part of what, yeah. what, what it is. Yeah. When I came home from Atlanta in January, January 31st of night of 2000, this was obviously pre-9-11, so families could meet you at the gate right at the door. And I step off the plane off the the walkway and there are my kids two and five and they were both doing the bob and weave wearing the rams gear and stuff yeah might as well do it i I just think that's the trend of it now um i was watching mlb network last night and they were doing a bunch of the they were showing some of the top plays or something like that and there was the guys in the dugout like of the atlanta braves doing the fake um selfies yeah Mm -hmm. i laughed i thought i think it's kind of funny i love all that stuff if you would have asked me five years ago, I would have thought it was terrible. I, I really would have. I would have thought, man, how can they let that happen? That's terrible. Those guys are going to get one in their ribs. Now I'm like, ah, so what? But the other, you know what, though? You, you do that. But if it's in an intense situation, it helps, especially over the course of a seven-game series. Like, Puig. Or 162 games. Yeah. yeah. But it, if somebody does that to your team, that builds up some emotion. The, the, the emotion is hate, but it's still emotion, mm-hmm. and you're going to tune in because you see... Okay, let's let's either hit that bat flipper or let's get him out. And I think now, too, that if you're on the opposite side, you're a pitcher going, well, my guy's probably going to do it anyway, too. Mm-hmm. So I can't <laughs> yeah, believe Even Wayno. Is... Yeah, Wayno's like, whatever. Yeah. I mean, guys just are like, okay, it's just part of the game now. But we do need to, I, I think, though, we have to, 
we've talked about it a lot. We got to speed up the game and we got to have action. There are great athletes that we're just not yeah, seeing. Definitely. You know, it's just it's a three outcome rule, uh, not rule, but it's a three outcomes that we're seeing: walk, strikeout, home run, and that's not good for the game. It's just not good for the game. Um, I know you're going to ask me what's coming up, so I'll tell you. All right. Uh, Brian Walton, every Wednesday. There, are, there is some news with the schedule as it pertains uh, to if, well, whether or not uh, the, the major leaguers report on time. Um, the minor leaguers, as it trickles down into the season, I, I'm concerned about this. So if the minor leaguers, if and when they do go back to work, um you know, you start thinking about we're going to talk about this when they come back to work, and if there's no fans in the stands, how do minor leaguers get through a season? Because they're dependent on fans. Yep. So that's one of the things I, I want to get into with Brian. So we'll, we'll talk about that, and uh, it, there's a lot of minor league news to get into, and I know we live in one of the great baseball towns in America, so I'm sure fans will be interested in that. Looking forward to it. Thank All you, right. sir. Thanks. That is... Thanks to our producer engineer, Tanner Hendrickson. Great job as always. Thank you. Michelle, this was fun. We'll do it again tomorrow, right? It was, Randy. I'll see you tomorrow. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Thanks for tuning in, texting in, being a part of the show for all of us until tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Character and Smallman podcast, powered by I Promise. Straight Talk Wireless knows there are plenty of reasons you might need a new phone. But switching to a better wireless provider doesn't have to be one of them. Keep your own phone and save when you switch to any Straight Talk wireless plan, like our $45 Silver Unlimited plan with unlimited high-speed data and 5 gigs of hotspot, plus nationwide 5G and America's best networks. Keep your own phone. Switch to a better wireless plan. Straight Talk Wireless, available at Walmart and Walmart.com. Requires a compatible unlocked phone and QIOP kit. 5G capable device required. Actual availability, coverage, and speed may vary. See latest terms and conditions at straighttalk.com. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit LiveXLive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.